And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. And welcome to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. We're broadcast live weeknights, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network, as well as Blog Talk Radio and YouTube Live. Those are our venues. Go to hagmanandhagman.com there to, uh, to check out the venues to, uh, to watch our show live. And hagmanreport.com. That's our news information show prep site. That's where you got to go for show prep site. Please bookmark both of them. And uh, subscribe. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as follow us on our Facebook and Twitter channels. Uh, we've got a, just a fantastic, fantastic program for you planned. Um, I, I'm just so excited. I want to thank Global Star Radio Network. Uh, Todd, thank you so much for all of your hard work. Thank you for everything that you do. Uh, folks, uh, Global Star is the shining light in the otherwise dark sea of whatever. So, uh, but anyway, uh, we have uh, our first guest tonight is uh, Mr. Scott Greer. He's the author of No Campus for White Men. He's, it's a fantastic book. I got a hold of the, that book this week and I just, just really went through it and it's just how topical is this information? Before we bring on our guest, I want to mention the portions of tonight's broadcast brought to you by Pro Flowers. Now, guys, with uh, Valentine's Day fast approaching, uh, I, let me just warn you: we got we got to take care of our ladies. And who who among us who who who, who among the ladies don't like to get flowers or or, or that special gift from Pro Flowers, folks? Pro Flowers has done us a really great favor. If you go to HagmanReport.com and click on the banner at the top of our website at HagmanReport.com, Pro Flowers has given you a direct link to Pro Flowers and to the offers they are providing our listeners. Or go to ProFlowers.com and in the microphone box use our code Hagman. Um, just uh, just very simply, go to go, go to proflowers.com and use our code Hagman. Help support our show by supporting our sponsors. Use our code Hagman at ProFlowers. Now's the time to do it. But uh, we've got our, this hour a man that that uh, you, I think you all know, or if you don't, perhaps I think you do. I think you've read his work, uh, DailyCaller.com. His his book, his latest book, which is a just a fantastic book. No campus for white men. Joe, I'm going to have you bring him on, and then I want to say something too about it. Yeah, um, uh, he's a writer for the Daily Caller and an author, as my dad said. And, and uh, what the Daily Caller, for those of you who might not be familiar with it, it's a it's a very interesting web website. It digs up uh, a lot of stories that uh, that other people uh, take and spread. It, it has great content on it. Scott, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you sound you sound powerful, great. Thanks, we, we, folks. We had a little bit of a connection issue before, but boy, he's uh, coming through loud and clear. Yeah, um, uh, folks, Scott is the author of No Campus for White Men. Uh, 
and but the subtitle is the transformation of higher education into hateful doctrination. Now we saw exactly what Mr. Greer is writing about. You know, there are some people out there who just are ahead of their time, and not only are they ahead of their time, they're exactly 100 percent accurate with their information. That's our guest tonight. As a matter of fact, in that book, No Campus for White Men, Milo, the, the subject of the well, the subject of the uh, the, the riots at UC Berkeley this week wrote the foreword to uh, Mr. Greer's book. Mr. Greer, thanks for coming on, and uh, well, let's get, let's hit the ground running. What in the world is going on? What happened at UC Berkeley this week? And talk to us. Well, it's kind of the culmination of things that have been going on with Milo. I think ever since the election of Donald Trump, uh, Milo has been getting a more violent response to when he speaks. He's always gotten a very strong protest when he speaks. I mean, he's very provocative. You know, he uses, he's no, he has no problem skewering political correctness. So he's always gotten, uh, people on campus upset when he comes to campus. But usually they just sit around, they hold signs. The only incident where he really had some, like, you know, disturbance and a little bit of violence was last year at DePaul University where he showed up and protesters got on stage and began threatening him with fists, but no serious violence, nothing compared to what we saw last night or two nights ago happened there. But over the since Donald Trump has gotten elected, more of these kind of anarchists, these anti-fascists, that's what they like to call themselves, have been showing up at his events and starting to try to challenge police, uh, throwing bottle rockets, uh, throwing punches when they have a chance. I mean, at you know, right at, on the night of inauguration at the University of Washington, there was several incidents of violence of people getting punched. There was even a, somebody who was shot and during a scuffle when Milo showed up at the University of Washington. So this was stuff that was already happening, and this is just two weeks ago. So what happened in UC at Berkeley on Wednesday was just the culmination of that. He showed up on campus. He, everybody knew what he was going to talk about. It's the same old thing. He was actually going to focus, reports show that he was going to focus on illegal immigrants. And... Basically, what happened that it got so out of control is that there was no police manning the perimeter. They built a perimeter, but no police were there to enforce it. So thus, protesters were able to break through, start getting into side, breaking windows, setting fires, starting committing multiple assaults, just because somebody who has a conservative point of view, who's opposed to illegal immigration, who's opposed to mass immigration, who speaks out against radical Islam in a very provocative manner, was able to come on campus. And so this is all, it was, it was bound for something to be, happen like this, but the amount of violence is almost surprising, and that falls at the hands, or really at the, at the feet, to speak, at the feet of the administrators and the mayor of Berkeley, who did nothing to stop these anarchists from going out of control and attacking people. Man, you're exactly right. And uh, John Robertson, our, our program director and producer, and I were talking about this, and he knows Berkeley, UC Berkeley, like the back of his hand. That's his old, old stomping grounds. And and uh, we were speaking about this this week and, and looking at this, doing kind of a post-mortem of uh, what took place. Uh, and we watched, uh, Joe and I watched uh, Milo being uh, interviewed by Tucker Carlson, but really, at the end of the day, and folks, um, Scott Greer wrote about this, wrote about what we're seeing here in the larger sense in his book. And again, his book is fantastic, No Campus for White Men, The Transformation of Higher Education. Uh, this, to me, is is really so prescient for today's environment. But, but let's take UC Berkeley for a moment here. 
Yeah, there's a couple of areas that we need to yeah, look it, at. We, 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 First of all, you mentioned the police. Yeah. I think we, let's start here. Let's do that. We've seen the tweets that were put out by the mayor of Berkeley. I believe Janet Napolitano, uh, former head of Department of Homeland Security, is involved in Berkeley in some way also. Uh, and there was also mm-hmm. speculation of a stand-down order that was given to police. Um, have, have you heard anything more on that? Do you believe that to be the I've case? I've heard maybe? sources cl- say that. I haven't gotten a total confirmation on it, but I would not be surprised, and it's highly likely that they were told to kind of back away and just let them do what they want to do. Because, I mean, you got to consider who – Janet Napolitano is the president of the University of California system. This is a woman who's a known progressive who believes in all these – who doesn't like conservatives, who has been an advocate of granting amnesty to illegal immigrants, and somebody coming on to her campus and having a message that's very opposed to that, not going to go over well with her. And the mayor of Berkeley had been calling Miley Annopolis uh, white nationalist, you know, bigot in the days before, had been saying this hateful rhetoric will not be tolerated in Berkeley. And, and you know, he's clearly, Milo is not a white nationalist. He has said that multiple times. He's clearly not, I mean, he, you know, he's a gay man who uh, prefers black men. I don't know how you can be a white nationalist and have that preference. So, but they still claim that for whatever reason. So he, so these authority figures were pushing this narrative that we have these like neo-Nazi, this crazy neo-Nazi coming on campus and that almost gave the message to the anarchists to start doing whatever. And it is very likely that the police, judging by the situation of these people are very anti-Trump, they're very pro-illegal immigration, that when somebody with that message that's contrary to that comes on campus and they just say, hey, let the protesters do it, they'll be peaceful, we're just going to let that happen. Then the police just stand down. I mean, it's very clear from uh, evidence. If you just look at the visual evidence, you see cops on the roof of that building where all the riots are happening. Just with they have the you know they have their gear, they have it all ready to take these people out, and they're just standing around. They're not really doing anything as they're watching the campus burn. And that's very I don't, that's just very shocking image to see. Just police being totally ineffective when what what they're you know paid and trained to do, and that's their job. They're not allowed to do it. So. It has to come from up top. It's not just the police officers deciding we're just going to chill out inside in our riot gear while a riot happens. You know, they, the group that brought Milo paid the security fee to prevent the type of violence that happened, happened. And clearly that security fee didn't work, and police just sat around and did nothing while rioters rioted. So it looks like a stand-down order of some kind was ordered. And if I can just point something out here, we talk about lawfare quite often. And this is something Milo has spoken about. Uh, what happens is this, folks. If, for example, Milo, uh, uh, he's scheduled to, to uh, speak at a, at a university. And what happens a couple of days before that speaking time, a couple of days before the event, the uh, well, well, the campus uh, is where he's speaking and yeah. asks for a security fee. Yeah, three, four thousand dollars, right, Scott? I mean, that, that's kind of how it goes. It's actually six thousand that they usually charge, even more okay, for six, that. And, and, uh, okay, so, so talk about that if you don't mind, because a lot of people don't really understand that. And that's one thing that I think people need to understand. There's kind of a portion of lawfare of censorship. 
Yeah, that's what a lot of public universities have done. Private universities have a little bit more leeway to shut down Milo when he comes because you know they don't they aren't held to the same standards as public universities. Public universities are are kind of required to have are kind of forced to have people like Milo come to their campus and provide protection for him. But what a lot of universities have figured out is like, well, we don't want Milo on campus, but we have a great idea. Right before the event, we're going to say to usually the College Republican chapter or the you know libertarian group that wants to have Milo. Hey, you know, five days before, hey, you need to pay $6,000 or the event's off. You know, these are a bunch of college kids. You know, they're not going to have $6,000 on hand just to have a speaker. So this is a way to shut down. And this actually worked um, at a few places, but in particular at the University of Maryland in October. Milo was at a bunch of other campuses nearby. And one campus, I believe, is the University of Alabama. They had tried it, but they eventually forced the administration to back down over negative press. So they were. This is like in September, but in October, a month later, University of Maryland, like five days before, they're like, told the students, "You have to pay the six thousand dollars, or the event's off." And they stood by that. They didn't. There wasn't as much press because you know busy news, busier news cycle, and they were able to get it hidden, and thus they were able to shut down the event. Now with a lot of these, uh, all these UC events, they've been charging these similar security fees, but students have been managing to pay for it. But that's, that is still putting a burden on these students just to have the right to free speech. And as we saw at the Berkeley, you know, they didn't even, they didn't even protect the free speech. You know, they let people just get assaulted for wearing Trump hats. And so they didn't even grant what is, uh, you know, what is given to these students by the Constitution and what is required of public universities to give them. And they just let it happen. But the $6,000 fee, they paid the $6,000 student fee or however much it was at at Berkeley at Maryland it was $6,000 and they paid that and they didn't even get their money's worth for it yeah, and yeah, they, they don't get the money back either it's my understanding no so, absolutely so, not yeah it, unless so, they do of course right and who's going to do that and of course that takes more time but but folks and in, in members of the listening and viewing audience please understand when we talk about lawfare when we talk about the, the fight of censorship against people like us but even more specifically against people like uh, Scott Greer, okay, with his book, or Milo with his presentations. This is very serious. They're trying to shut us down, shut us up, trying to shut up Scott Greer. Um, in, in many cases, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, the, well, just the name of the book, for example, No Campus for a White Man, oh, how, how racist and how um, we can't, we can't possibly have him, uh, we can't possibly promote his book or have, you know, this is, and then that, that, uh, sounds like the title of a DNC speech. <laughs> Good one. Uh, so, okay. All right. So who in the heck was at that Berkeley protest? Who was yeah, behind yeah. it? And if I can only yeah, jump in, on. because you have both that answer on your website, uh, on the Daily Caller's website. Here's yes. who funded the group behind the call to arms at Milo's Berkeley event. And then there's another article, a uh, famous Berkeley professor. Uh, and then I saw it when I went home last night after the show. I turned on, I flipped through the news to see what's going on, and I saw that in the CNN they were talking about the, the, the riots in, in Berkeley. And this is the exact segment that I saw, and I am, I mean, I think I was drinking chocolate milk, and I almost spit, spit it out when I saw this. It was the, the panel, it was the, there was three people, and I think Don Lemon was the host, and it was just the most ridiculous panel. I mean, I don't even know how these, these people are allowed to be on cable TV, uh, but anyway, they, they go on to talk about and speculate about the fact that this could be a Trump administration people to ban into Milo, uh, paying yeah. right wing 
people to dress up in the black and the masks and come in and start the violence and to, to make it look right to make Trump, it look right? like it's you know these crazy uh you know leftist rioters shutting down free speech but no 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 it's actually you know Trump and Milo conspiring to give that appearance um what do you have to say to that Scott that is one of the, in a year of ridiculous talking points, that's one of the most ridiculous talking points I've heard. Uh, the fact that these, uh, black bloc anarchists who are, who describe themselves as anti-fascists are secretly Trump supporters is totally ridiculous. I mean, these people exist. You can interview them. They're frothing at the mouth of any idea that a conservative might have a, uh, scary point of view and they're ready to attack them. The idea that these are secret Trump supporters is, is ridiculous, but it's getting passed around. It wasn't just Robert Reich, uh, who's used to be, He's, I believe, still a Berkeley professor, and of course was in the Clinton administration as his leopard, as his labor secretary, not leopard secretary, <laughs> as labor secretary. Uh, it was also passed on in the very popular progressive uh, t- uh, internet TV show, The Young Turks. They were wondering, you know, these are actually what if these are just right wingers who are hiding behind the mask? They're, you know, they're trying to cause a riot just so the University of California system can be defunded because they hate science and and UC system has science. So yeah, that's probably what it is. You know. These are just ridiculous conspiracy theories. You know, for ye- you know, for years the left has accused the right of. Uh being, you know, knee-deep in conspiracy theories and promoting these ideas. What we're now seeing is, like, the worst form of bircherism, or what would have called bircherism back in the day, of just, like, you know, our government's taken over by Russians. It's actually, these rioters are actually secret Trump supporters. They all push these ideas in mainstream forms, and, you know, they, it's, they believe it. I mean, they're just so driven by their anti-Trump hysteria that they'll just believe any ridiculous idea that comes to their head. And one of the funny things is, one of their favorite, uh, things that liberals love to say is a conspiracy theory is that, oh, George Soros is behind these protests when conservatives say that. Well, actually, in this case, once a shock, shocker of shocker, as the Daily Caller has reported, uh, Daily Caller Chuck Ross, George Soros does have a connection to the group, the group that uh, refused fascism, which started this, uh, which organized the protest, has indirect connection, has direct and fundraising from groups associated with George Soros. So once again, a thing that liberals think is a conspiracy theory turns out to be true while they're engaging in conspiracy theories. You're referencing the, uh, I I read the article, and you're referencing the Tide Foundation, which is a a well-known Soros group. One of the donors that's also listed in the article kind of took me by surprise was the city of Tucson was a, a donor uh, to this group, and that made me, I mean, is this taxpayer money, or is this a person inside the, uh, the city of Tucson? But on the, on the website, it says that it is the, um, uh, the city of Tucson is a notable donor along with the United Steel Workers Labor Union. And to see a city on that list, uh, to, to back these, and what they're, what they're backing is the Alliance for Global Justice and Refuse Fascism. And the Alliance for Global Justice raised $2.2 million, um, ending in March 2016. Uh, and that, that's just uh, alarming to me. Yeah, and this is very typical. These groups get funded by, I mean, it's almost funny. These, all these anti-capitalist groups are funded by the biggest corporations they end up because what happens is these corporations are forced in and large entities are forced into giving money into these things that they were promoting social justice. What happens, that money funnels to more radical groups and eventually it ends up to people such as Refuse Fascism who are basically organizing protests that descend into riots. And we always see this happen with, and it's shocker, it comes. It some somehow George Soros always has a role in this. So, a lot of these things that 
that people that the left likes to see as a conspiracy theory from the right turns out to be true while they're promoting ridiculous conspiracy theories that these people who are rioting are secret Trump supporters. So it's kind of funny that the, that these things turn out this way. Absolutely. Um, I saw an interesting quote today that reminded me of exactly what we're seeing. Uh, and then the quote from Winston Churchill was, the fascists of the future will be called anti-fascists. And, I mean, isn't that what we're seeing today, these groups, anti-fascism, refuse fascism? The, using these... Antifa. Yeah, that's the anti-fascism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Using these uh, uh, fascist and just oppressive tactics in the name of tolerance and, and free speech, and it's so backwards. Um, can you speak to the the tolerance, what's called, the intolerance that's called tolerance on the left? Yeah, there is a, um, the left one, in the, and I describe this in my book, No Campus for White Men, is that when the left speaks about tolerance, they're thinking it's only tolerance for ideas that they think are not going to be hurtful to their people. The, you know, the great, or not really great, but infamous Marxist philosopher Herbert Marcuse kind of argued for this with, uh, with his form of tolerance that they shouldn't, that they shouldn't allow ideas that they think as, is going to lead to fascism, that is going to lead to so-called oppression, that there should be zero tolerance for these kind of ideas. And this, uh, and this is kind of listed in, in how they, uh, how they approach free speech. They don't actually believe in free speech if it goes against their interests. They believe in a type of tolerance that only that only supports people they view as the oppressed. While if say you can la- if they think they can label something as leading to fascism, they can suppress it because that's not actually that is tolerant in their view because they're helping out the oppressed minorities. And we're seeing this play out in many ways with uh, the microaggression craze that is now uh, gripping college campuses and even going into some of the workplace is that these kind of uh, unconscious slights against minorities by the majority culture that comes out and like you know if you say a joke an off-color joke that's not just an off-color joke that's a that's akin to something like a lynching that's a, that's in their mindset when they see the microaggression and colleges try to use this um, idea to suppress free speech because it's not just it's not just ideas they disagree with it's something that's threatening the physical safety of themselves they claim that because that gives them a greater argument to suppress uh a few points they don't like interesting wow if i may a mexican a black a muslim uh imam and a priest walk into a bar no i i guess i'm not allowed to finish that (laughs) I don't know. You're uh, really threatening my safety right now. I don't know yeah. if I can walk home tonight. I'm, my heart's paid just at the words of that. I don't know if I can handle that. Well, well, the mindset behind that, the, that, that somebody's words or their own ideology, their own beliefs and viewpoints can physically threaten or hurt another person. I saw a clip that had to do with the, the Berkeley rise. I think it was in a Paul Joseph Watson video. He shows one of the organizers of the protest. And it's a lady who talks about when Milo comes there and what, with what he says that he's raping and trying to rape and kill her with his speech. Um, is that what you're, you're talking about? The, the, the somebody's beliefs and, and their free speech uh, and these people's perception on the other side that it is actually physically hurting their mind, their body in some way. It's twisted. Yeah, yeah that's what they're saying, and that's exactly and that's that happens. Every, 
uh, once a week on college campus. Uh, I think one of my favorite examples of this is that um, the I'm blanking out on the university, but there was a university that had a student that was about to show the movie, uh, the gay rights movie uh, Stonewall, which is about the Stonewall riots. And you know, they, this is like, oh, we're promoting social justice, we're promoting progress. Well, no, actually, the transgender students thought this was an outrage, and their arguments was like, this showing this movie threatens my safety. You know, this is showing a gay rights movie that's Somehow that a, uh, the school showing a movie that's pro-gay rights somewhere on campus threatens the physical safety of transgender students. Somehow, I don't know how you make that argument, but, you know, they believe it. So they were able to shut down that showing of the movie, which is just ridiculous. It's, it's preposterous that this is like a legitimate argument, but these arguments happen all the time on college campus. Now, sometimes they say, and I've, and I've seen this argument used against uh, Breitbart News. Uh, there's a lot of people who are trying to boycott Breitbart News, which Breitbart News is the employer of Milo Yiannopoulos. They're trying to use this argument that the reason why they want companies to not advertise with it is not because of Breitbart's politics. It's because Breitbart's news stories lead to hate crimes that actually cause violence towards people. Now, there's no evidence that a Breitbart news story has caused a hate crime anywhere. But they claim this anyway, and they just act like, well, we don't have to prove facts. And I've seen this, a lot of people repeat this, that Milo's words and Breitbart's, you know, news stories are somehow going to lead to violent, uh, hate crimes, and there's evidence of it. Now, if you ask them for a hate crime, they're not going to give it to you, of course, because there are no hate crimes caused by Breitbart's, Breitbart or Milo. They just use this tactic because it makes sense to them, and it, and it feels it feels right. It doesn't have to be right. They they care about an idea feeling right more than it actually being right in reality, and that and it's but it's a powerful argument for them to say instead of I disagree with this idea. Here's the facts and reason why. I, it's, it's much better for them to say these ideas are going to kill me, and if the school allows this to happen, my sa- my safety is in jeopardy. That is a much more effective argument for these for these students to use to suppress speech and to get their way. Uh, excellent, Scott. We are up against the break, folks. You're listening to Scott Greer from the Daily Caller on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. He's going to be with us. In through uh, the, into the next segment at the end of the hour, until the end of the hour. And uh, we got so much to talk about. If you go on HagmanReport.com and if you go to the article for the show today, uh, what you will find, uh, Leftist Love Islamic Lies, in that show description you can get the link to uh, Scott Greer's Facebook page, the Facebook page for his book, as well as a link to the Daily Caller. I would urge everybody to bookmark the Daily Caller and check it on a regular basis. It's a it's a very informative and great website that we link articles to pretty often on our site. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. This edition of the Hagman and Hagman Reporter, very special guest, Mr. Scott Greer. He's the author of No Campus for White Men. I, I would urge everyone right now or after the show, go to Amazon.com or WND Books or wherever Scott Greer tells you the, the best place to buy this and order his book, No Campus for White Men. It's it, Right now it's number one in its category on Amazon. All right, it's it's a it's a good read. It's there's no wasted words or wasted space in this book. 240 pages. Um, it's uh, number one in politics, social sciences, cultural policy, and overall, it's in the top. Uh, it's really in the top one percent of all books, or top one tenth of one percent of all books on Amazon. And it's one of those books where I wish I would have written that. Seriously, it's got a lot of great information. In it. And he's our guest tonight, Daily Caller as well. DailyCaller.com, the social editor. Uh, for that website. Before we get back to our guest, guys, listen to me. If I can do this, you can do this. I have already taken care of my wife, flowers for my wife for, for, uh, uh, Valentine's Day. I did it. 
you can you can do it too. Here's the deal. Here's how you do it. Go to proflowers.com. You select the date that you want the flowers delivered. And in my case, it was a certain specific day around Valentine's Day because that day is special for us for other reasons. And in under two minutes, you select your, you make your selection. You're in and out under two minutes. It's the easiest way to do things. It's foolproof. And if you're tired, and you should be tired of guessing what she wants for Valentine's Day and getting it wrong, well, now this is a fail-proof way to look like a pro. This year, Pro Flowers is make it, making it easier than ever before by taking all the guesswork out. On top, folks, on top of their already low prices right now, you can get, now listen to this, two dozen assorted roses with a free glass vase for twenty nine ninety nine plus shipping and handling. You cannot go to your local florist or, or any florist and, and get it for Valentine's Day. Get the get this deal. Not even close. And here's a better deal. Upgrade for just nine ninety nine more. Nine dollars ninety nine cents more. You can get two dozen long stem assorted roses with a premium vase and chocolates. Oh, she will love you to death. I have already taken care of my wife for that special day. Why don't you do it as well? Select the delivery day you want, order now, and have it delivered on Valentine's Day or the day you specify right to her home or to her work. You're going to look like the pro. So here's the only way to get two dozen assorted roses free with a free, I'm sorry, two dozen assorted roses with a free glass vase starting at $29.99. Just go to proflowers.com, use our code word HAGMAN, help support our show by supporting our sponsors, Again, use our code Hagman. That's proflowers.com. Click on the microphone and type in our code Hagman. Don't wait. Order today. This deal expires soon. Joe, uh, Scott Greer is, a, is somebody that I really respect and uh, admire his writings. Listen to this. On top of, this is from No Campus for uh, White Men. On top of the thousands of students expressing their dismay at the election, professors and administrators offered to coddle them by canceling classes, rescheduling tests, providing free counseling to the aggrieved. A few schools have vowed or turned themselves into sanctuary campus campuses. Uh, maybe that plural probably should be camp I. And resist any attempts by the federal government to enforce immigration laws. Anarchy at its best. Yeah, one of the, uh, during the, the, this campaign, uh, before the election, one of the things that really caught my eye was the the Trump 2016 shockings that rattled universities nationwide. Somebody or people wrote Trump 2016 on sidewalks with chalk. Yeah. And mm-hmm. students were, I guess if we take their word for triggered. it, physically ill, triggered, yeah. Yeah. had to get safe spaces, counseling. This new phenomenon has been taken to a whole new level. And if we can, let's get into this uh, Generation Snowflake politically correct climate. Um, is, it, is this in, uh, being allowed to continue because the media and, and the people in charge of many of these institutions are enabling it? Or is there something else behind this? Well, they are. Administrators are enabling it, but there is something deeper behind it. I think the fact that we have this growing, the two things that are most driving campus insanity, I would say, are identity politics and victimhood culture. Identity politics, roughly speaking, is where you approach politics not through, you know, say, a set ideology. Well, it comes with an ideology, but it's not, say, facts and reason. All of your political ideas are based on around your idea that you ascribe identity you ascribe to yourself. So if you're a black man, that is your all your politics. That's all you need to know. That's that's your politic that's your politics. 
that's where you base your politics on. If you're a gay man, that's that's all your politics right there. And that's very much the basis on uh, identity politics is that you argue for your position based on the identity you take for yourself. And when college camp when it happens on college campuses, many of these kids they got into college based on the fact that they said I am a, I'm a part of a minority group. I they when they were applying to colleges on the admissions process, they said, I'm African-American, I'm a Native American, I'm this. And they were allowed to go into school due to affirmative action. That affirmative action forces schools to have preferences for racial minorities over whites and, and increasingly over Asian Americans as well. So many of these students, they got into school based on their identity, and then they would say, hey, why not continue it for the next four years? And that's very much what we're seeing now is that students are forming ideas based on a racial identity or a sexual identity, whatever they choose, and that is becoming the core focus of their being. And that's why they, and that's very much what they're arguing for on campus is that a lot of these things that they're pushing for, it's only for a specific group. I think when we saw a lot of these protests that were happening in the wake of the University of Missouri in November 2015, where students said, we have systemic racism going on. There is like all this evil white supremacy on this campus, and we need this. When you looked at their demands, it was all based on helping exclusively African Americans over their fellow students and giving them special status. You know, they were going to get special counseling that wasn't available to all their students. They were wanting special housing. They were wanting all these things that would only be available to African Americans. And even at a few schools, I believe it's a California State University at Los Angeles, they've even built segregated dorms for African American students that are cheaper and more and, and arguably better than other dorms that are available to all students regardless of their race. And African-American students are able to have this exclusive privilege that recalls Jim Crow, of course, because segregated dorms, segregated housing, very similar. I mean, I wonder if they want segregated water fountains next, but that are better than they, but they're better than the white student fountains. And this is the type of things that they're demanding is that it's only solely reserved for students themselves. And the next part is the victimhood culture, which is building a moral culture that is not based on, say, honor or dignity ascribed or, say, the rights that you are given by God. It's based on the fact that who is the more victimized person, who has the most oppression, that gives them greater status in that society that adopts a victimhood culture. So, so say that a person is trying to win an argument. They appeal to, well, I'm a victim. I'm a, I'm a minority. I'm, I'm oppressed. Thus, I have greater status than you, person who are privileged to have power, supposedly, and thus I win an argument. I gain higher status. So, a lot of what we're seeing on college campuses is, is that students are competing to who can be the bigger victim, and thus they get more privileges that way because in that moral culture that they're developing, morality is moral status is ascribed to who is more oppressed. And it's usually not based on uh, your socioeconomic standard. You know, you can be a poor uh kid, white kid from coal country where your parents are, you know, have no money at all and you somehow manage to get to college, but you're privileged and versus somebody who is a child of millionaires who happens to be African-American, that person's a victim just because of their racial identity. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I saw an interview um, the other day, I think it was last night, where they talked about, you know, how white privilege is collective guilt. And uh, what you're saying, though, is that depending on the uh, 
the identity or, or the label the, the person chooses and, um, you know, how that, how that group is perceived. They get special status, special rights. We saw this with the, uh, when the homosexual marriage stuff came out from the Supreme Court, um, it says with the LGBT community, with the, with the bathroom issues. It, and we saw the Obama administration pander to this a lot by elevating their status, as you said, and giving them special rights, special privileges, which is completely anti-constitutional. Um, everybody's created equal and should be treated equally under the law, but we don't have that in our culture today. Do you think under the Trump administration we're going to get back to that? Everyone should be uh, created equal, considered equal, or will the special privileges, special um, uh, you know, rights be given uh, during this administration? Well, I think the administration is looking towards that. I mean, because Jeff Sessions is be is likely is in all likelihood going to be the next attorney general, and he is a big believer in the rule of law that we're all equal before the rule of law, and he would definitely restore that in his in what he oversees in the Department of Justice, and that's the most important thing in our society is that the fact that in, when somebody's in court that they are treated equally no matter what the background is and I think that's a very important part of our society and that's one of the things many things that makes America great when it comes to college campuses I mean the Trump administration is dealing with a different problem because this is so deeply embedded in campuses I, I mean I, I cite numerous examples of No Campus for White Men of how this is so deeply embedded into the into higher education at this point that it's so tough for Trump to do it. It's almost they have to threaten administrators to to put pressure to counteract this this uh, nefarious ideology working working its way into higher education because all these students that are getting in it almost it almost has to be very radical what could happen. I mean the fact of the matter is is that affirmative action looks like it's going to stay in the next four years. I mean barring something radical happening. And that's what immediately causes students to gravitate towards these identity and to start to think in a ways of like if I'm a victim I get these greater benefits because if you know the reason why we have affirmative action is apparently because originally it was intended to alleviate uh, discrimination that was re- real and existing that happened under Jim Crow and other, you know, and other things in the past. But what happens now with affirmative action is that the fact that if you can claim it, I'm a victim and I'm I'm this way because of my racial or sexual identity, I get greater privileges, and that's very that's a very tempting offer for a young person to have because it gives them a leg up over all their students. And it, but. It, I mean, I think I think the Trump administration is going to try it. I think when Trump, uh, in the wake of the UC, of the UC Berkeley riots, he tweeted out, "If UC Berkeley is not going to respect, uh, you know, free speech, they're going to get defunded." I think the Trump administration, if they keep seeing these riots, if they keep seeing this insanity, they are going to use whatever power they can to try to push back against it. Yeah, uh, you know, the Trump issuing uh, warnings um, about pulling federal funding. And I think that's part of the reason we saw the the uh, speculation of oh these were you know outside agitators and they were right wingers because they're trying to one thing with the media especially that is just incredible during this last year is all this anti-Trump violence they have whether it's been successful or not they've turned around and, and tried to blame Trump or the Trump supporters for it even though it's been proven to be the completely opposite now um, would would it be effective just pulling the funding? I mean, what other remedies or options uh, do we have and does the president have? 
I think it would be effective. I mean, you look at sanctuary cities. Uh, he's he's saying, I'm going to pull funding if you're not going to follow immigration law. And now there's a few cities, such as Miami, that are saying, oh, well, we're changing our policy. We're not going to comply with immigration law because these schools depend on federal funding. I mean, President uh, well, Barack Obama was able to shut down ITT Tech which is for a for-profit school because he saw it as not a real education center. He pulled federal funding through student loans, and ITT Tech could not survive with that, and they shut down. So if he does have a legitimate threat that they're going to have their federal funds pulled for what's going to ha- for what they're doing on campus, I think they're going to have to change. I mean, if I mean that's a that's all you have to use the power of the bully pulpit against bullies. Well, you got that. You got that right. I've got a question for you. As I was reading your book and I finished it, um, again, folks, uh, this is just an incredible book. No campus for white men. Author Scott Greer, get it on Amazon or well, when you, would Amazon be the best place or WND? Amazon or? is a WD superstore. It's not out yet in bookstores. It'll be out next month and okay. at Barnes and Noble and all the other great bookstores. Okay, so Amazon and WND Books, uh, their bookstore. All right, very good. Um, one thing I, I wanted to ask you this after I got done reading this. This book, um, well, the publication date was in March, right? March of this, uh, we're probably eight months ago, seven, eight months ago, right? Yeah, it's, uh, the publication day is, uh, next March. Uh, well, it's technically March 14th, but. Oh, wait, wait a it, second. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> well, duh. Okay, this is 2017. <laughs> All right, never mind. Um, well, <laughs> what, well, hey, let me rephrase the question then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, here's a guy, here I am. I don't even know what year it is. Um, is there anything when you were writing this book that surprised you? Any of your investigative findings that surprised you at all? Uh, that that you thought, wow, this is even worse than I thought. I think one of the things that surprised me, I've been covering education issues for almost four years now, is that not necessarily when I was writing it, because I was starting to get surprised. What what drove me to write it was my was my surprise over what happened in November 2015 at Yale University and the University of Missouri in the same week. Uh, if you, I briefly alluded to the University of Missouri earlier, but at University of Missouri, they were able to force out their president over basically uh, them finding what was a, a swastika made out of feces in a school in a school bathroom and other claims that there was uh, racism going on because somebody heard a racial slur, overheard a racial slur, and there's like, there's this there's this horrific campus climate being developed here at the University of Missouri. And they were able to force them out by convincing uh, over 30 African-American players to go on strike against the school until the president resigned, and he got axed. And at the same time, at Yale University, there was all this argument going on over cultural appropriating, um, culture, Halloween costumes that engage in cultural appropriation, which is like if you dress up as an Indian, well, that's that's not going to be tolerated. And it, and it keeps descending further and further down the list. You know, I think even pirates might be able to complain now under uh, cultural appropriation of Halloween costumes, but um, I mean, just with the ridiculousness that's going on. So basically, there was this whole debate on at Yale, and two professors, or professor, one professor and her husband, um, 
wrote an op-ed that's saying that, look, you know, this is college. You're supposed to, you know, be a little bit edgy. You're supposed to engage in, cult- you know, a little bit of cultural appropriation. Don't be, you know, so, you know, prudish about this. You know, just let free speech happen. And that was basically like saying that, oh, we're Nazis. Just accept it to the rest of the campus. That's how they appropriated it. And they did a whole mob around the husband of the woman who wrote this, and they yelled at him, they screamed at him, they called him a bigot or a racist, even though he's a standard liberal. They were just hateful over the idea of uh, cultural appropriating Halloween costumes, which is just such a ridiculous and petty issue. And at some point, uh, of course, a hoax happened in this, that uh, African-American woman claimed that she was uh, not allowed into a fraternity party because she was black. It, no, it turned out that they were at capacity, and there were numerous minorities there, so they once again, a case of fake news. Uh, you know, fake news has existed for a little bit, for a while now, uh, with hate crime hoaxes. So these two events, when I was seeing it, it's like, this is just ridiculous, because I was seeing all these protests. It's like, you know, I really want to investigate what's happening here. And... I just, I think what over time has just surprised me is that when I was covering this stuff, you know, there wasn't that much student engagement. There were these crazy protests. Uh, you know, I only graduated college, you know, four years ago, and I don't remember ever being told to check my white privilege or, you know, you can't read this book. There's a trigger warning over it. I never saw this stuff. And I think that's what drove me to write this book is just the shock I was seeing over four years of covering these issues and not being too far removed from college being like, hey, what is going on here? I want to know what's the difference. Yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely crazy uh, to say the least. And, and I'm not, I'm confused about, you know, this identity stuff that, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the Halloween costumes. Um, I thought under this, you know, mindset that these people have, if I wanted to be a uh, a black woman, for instance, if I felt like I was a black woman, am I not entitled to be a black woman? Isn't that the, what you know? These um, the gender identity and sexual orientation isn't that what that's about? Yeah, in some ways, but uh, I think one thing it's that is I, I point out in No Campus for White Men is that when whites try to adopt an identity, even if it's an African-American identity, I think we saw that with the uh, Rachel Dolezal case in the summer 2015, which is coming right off of Caitlyn Jenner, you know, of somebody claiming that a man claiming is a woman. We celebrate it when it's a uh, white woman claiming she's an African-American. It's an outrage, but hey, what, what's the difference here? You know, why are you going to celebrate one thing and not the other? But I think it comes down to when... Um, White people and a lot of what this moral culture that's being developed, this victimhood moral or cultural moral culture, are put at the bottom. They can't take an identity either. Of course, not in whiteness. That is not going to be tolerated at all. While they're going to celebrate black, Hispanic, Asian identity, and not zero tolerance for white identity. But uh, oh. at the same time, but uh, no, go ahead, finish the thought. Yeah, and when they have. And when I think when it comes down to race, they're not going to tolerate that. If whites say, well, I'm a Hispanic, you know, they're not going to like that. I think that's almost in some ways that Elizabeth Warren is very, you know, Pocahontas, is, as Donald Trump called her, is very hesitant to really push that her Native American heritage because if the fact that it was discovered that she actually, you know, it is totally bogus and she just used that to further her career, the the left that sees her as a hero would turn against her because they do not like this idea of whites stealing their identity. Exactly. And what about if sadly. I wanted to be Irish? Would that be okay? No, a white no, no, no. to a white identity? <laughs> uh, it, all right, I'll, I'll leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, the absurdity of of of, of being absurd. Uh, Scott, let me let me get your take on what we saw 
right after the uh, inauguration, the, the 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 females marching all across not just America but all across the world. What is, in the context of your book, No Campus for White Men? Um, what, what do you see with respect to the female march, the female, uh, you know, I am woman, hear me roar, and, and some of the castrated, uh, uh wussified, uh, men out there who have to give the, give them their, uh, give their wives their, uh, testicles to hold their purses while they're, while they march with them. What, what do you see? What, what's, what's your take on this? Well, I do have a chapter on this in No, Camp- uh, no Campus for White Men, it's, uh, which is all fo- fixated on rape culture. Uh, I call it rape culture feminism. There is this huge th- uh, thing that's on campus that there is a you know vicious rape culture, not only in colleges but in America in general. It's just heightened at ca- college campuses. And women believe that one in five women are sexually assaulted in- during their time in college, that men use their power for malicious ends, and just women are just on a daily basis oppressed, but it's usually over the slightest things. I mean, if you see this, a lot of the an- feminism that was animating the Women's March was over the you know the most nonsensical things. I mean, these are the same women who complain about manspreading. Manspreading, of course, I, now i got to warn your, viewer, your listeners and your viewers about manspreading. It is a, one of the most troubling things you're going to hear. It's when men you spread their legs too far on, in public transportation where somebody else can't sit down or can't sit down comfortably. I know this is very disturbing to a lot of the people when they hear about manspreading, but it's out there and they're worried about it. And there's also mansplaining when apparently a man explains something to a female in a way that they view as condescending. So these are the kind of very petty things that are not really issues that they fixate on. And this is, and this is heightened at college campuses. And we, it was just kind of exposed for the general public during the Women's March because most, I walked around during the Women's March in, in Washington, D.C. and I saw all these, these signs. It was like, you know, get your tiny hands out of my uterus. You know, get your tiny hands off this. I mean, everything had referenced tiny hands. They, I guess they all thought it was an original, uh, you know, line against Trump is that, you know, there's this war on them, on women in general by society, by this evil masculine society, and that men in some ways need to be changed in order for there to be a more equal society in their opinion. You know, uh, when you were explaining the, the man-spreading part, my, my father was like, what is he talking about? Uh, you know, I never, I saw, I've never heard of that. It, wasn't uh, there a, a man arrested on a New York City subway not too long ago? Uh, I think, yes, well, there was a, there was a man. I, I don't know if he was arrested, but he at least got a citation for man-spreading. Yeah, it is, uh, you know, most normal people are not aware that this is a problem because, you know, it, it's not a problem. But if you read, you know, left-wing websites like Slate or Salon or Jezebel, you think this is one of the worst things happening in our society today. So, I mean, but look out. You, hopefully your uh, listeners are now on the lookout for it. Well, we're gonna have you know, Scott. We're gonna have to have you come back on like on yeah. a weekly basis to update us on the latest um, uh, so misdemeanor. Well, yeah, yeah, misdemeanors that that could we could possibly man spreading, mansplaining. It's Article three. Explain that, Lucy. Account. You know, seriously, I, this is ridiculous. Uh, we got about two minutes left, uh, and, and this time has gone just by so quickly. Again, our guest Scott Greer, his book "No Campus for White Men." I would suggest everyone to get a copy of that as soon as possible. Um, Scott, uh, in the cl- give us your closing comments uh, here in the next uh, two minutes. Uh, the floor is yours. 
Well, I, I am the author, of course, of No Campus Wyman. I hope your uh, listeners and viewers can follow me on Twitter at Scott M. Greer. And hopefully, I think right now, what we're seeing with uh, UC Berkeley is just the beginning. As, uh, as famous Hollywood director Judd Apatow threatened Trump supporters on Twitter in the wake of it, as he was showing support for the riots, and other celebrities are showing support for riots, we're going to start seeing more violence, more aggression, not only on campus, but in other places in general, due to the kind of dangerous ideas that are floating among the left and is their anti-Trump hysteria. And unfortunately, this has become the case. But uh, as I said before, you know, this is kind of where we're heading. We're kind of heading to a dark path, but hopefully the Trump administration can turn us around. No, and, and I hope you're right. Um, and I want to thank you again, Scott, for, for joining us. We definitely have to have you on in the in the future, folks. Scott Greer from The Daily Caller, fantastic website. If you don't have it as one of your regulars, you check on a daily basis, bookmark it, and make sure you check it because they are on uh, the tip of the spear when it comes to uh, breaking down the political chaos that is going on in our country. And also, don't forget, No Campus for White Men, the transformation of higher education into hateful indoctrination, available on Amazon. Uh, that is the book authored by Scott Greer. We look forward to having you on in the future, Scott. Keep up the good work. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Randall Terry. His website is voiceofresistance.org. Don't go anywhere. It's going to be a very fascinating two hours right after these short messages. Stay with us. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Perhaps you're a business out there, a small business. Would you like to extend the reach of your business? I bet you would. Would you like to, to have the same opportunities as companies such as Omaha Steaks and Pro Flowers and Casper Mattress and some of the bigger companies out there? Would you like to have that same power? Advertise on our program. Go to HagmanAndHagman.com or send an email to opportunities at HagmanAndHagman.com. If you go to HagmanReport.com and HagmanAndHagman.com, there's a link where you can, you can, you can, it's a big red box. You'll see it. You'll see it. Click on that link. And go ahead and read the benefits what we have created for you. I think it's I think it's a fabulous opportunity. For a 
investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. Ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, I'm looking down, looking around, trying to think, oh, geez, where are my notes here? Got them right here. They're right here all the time. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us. Thanks for your belief and your trust in us. As we walk through this minefield of current events together, we have a, another treat for you right now. Our guest tonight uh, on with us is Randall Terry. You know him. I know you know him. He's the founder of Operation Rescue. You know, uh, Coach Dave Dobmeyer and, and, and Flip Benham and Operation Rescue. You know our guest. As a matter of fact, uh, his, his website, voiceofresistance.org. Um, he's done so many great videos, uh, so many, so much great work, uh, at of course, voice of resistance. Check that out before we bring him on. Folks, let me, let me tell you something here. I have never felt better. I don't know about you, but I know I have not had a cold. I have not had the flu this winter. Uh, plus I can actually, as I'm right before showtime, well, a couple hours before showtime, what I usually do is I take cortisol buster. This is Dr. Ted Brewer's formula. It is from healthmasters.com. Cortisol Buster. Now, if you haven't heard about this, cortisol helps your body resist and recover from the effects of everyday stress. It helps you focus. So you get de-stressed and you get more focused. It's also a testosterone booster. It, it is. I slipped some of this in my wife's coffee. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But <laughs> uh, components of this multifunctional formula have shown to support healthy cortisol levels. It, it alleviates fatigue. Man, there were times that I thought I had to take a uh, take a nap in the afternoon. And I, I look at Donald Trump, and he's 70 years old, old out there, you know, just going He's like the Energizer Rabbit. I want to be that way. And you heard, you've heard Dr. Ted Brower on the, on the show. Well, his his secret is cortisol buster. And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, I believe in this product. I've been taking it now for a while. And I'm going to take it right now. In addition to the, the multivitamin, which we always get from healthmasters.com, go to healthmasters.com. That's healthmasters.com. And um, uh, use DUG5, D-O-U-G-5, in the promo code for 5% off. But this is the key. This is the ticket. In addition to your multivitamin, this is the ticket. This cortisol buster, focus, de-stresses, relieves uh, fatigue, 
increases energy. In fact, I'm so focused, I could see right into that camera, right through that camera, into your house. I'm watching you. Hey, you got a stain on your shirt. Just kidding, but uh, I'm not kidding about cortisol buzzer. Healthmasters.com, healthmasters.com. Doug five is the uh, is the coupon code. So our guest is uh, Randall Terry, voice of resistance.org. That's right. And here's my question coming right out of the gate. And I asked, I had to ask him this during the during the uh, as we're bringing him on. So what question? You know, what's the first question? That I should ask, that we should ask. And, and this is a great question because it's kind of obvious, but it's not so obvious. How does the founder of Operation Rescue, or how does a pro-life activist become a filmmaker about the, uh, scourge that, that is Islam? So I'm going to kick it to you and how, how does that happen? First of all, I want to thank you, Doug and Joe, for having me. It's a, it's a delight. And your reputation precedes you as a father-son tag team. Um, I I founded Operation Rescue in the mid-80s and have spent most of my adult life fighting for the unborn. And I still am active in the pro-life movement. I do a daily television show, uh, similar to yours, and we're seen around the country on, on various TV stations, Christian stations. But when President Reagan died, <clears throat> I'll back up. After 9-11, I, like so many people in the media, because I had a radio show and a TV show at, at different points, I thought, I've got to study Islam. I have to study Islamic terrorism. And I really didn't know where to start. So, like most people, I started reading the Quran. And then I began to realize, first of all, I don't know what I'm reading, and that I had to be credentialed if I was going to be able to speak accurately and with authority on the issue of Islamic terrorism. So when President Reagan died, I felt, uh, and for those of you who believe in God, you'll understand this, and for those of you who don't, you can just scratch your head, but I felt like God was saying to me, this is your last chance. If you want to be a voice for Christians who are suffering under the scourge of Islam, if you want to understand Islam, this is your last chance. You have to go back and get properly credentialed. So, um, I've been to Bible college and I had a bachelor's degree that was not from an accredited school, so I couldn't even go on to get my master's. So I had to go back to school and get another bachelor's degree from the State University of New York in communications. And then I went on to a military school, Norwich University, which is one of the oldest military schools in the country, uh, almost as old as West Point, and I got my master's degree in diplomacy with a concentration in international terrorism. So I focused like a laser beam on international terrorism, and the bulk of my studies for my master's degree was in Islamic terrorism. And I'm still doing radio interviews, I'm still a pro-life activist, I was doing the, you know, in, I was leading the effort to try and save Terry Schiavo's life, uh, fighting against homosexual marriage. Meanwhile, I'm in college, and then I'm in the university, getting my master's, and I, I stumbled onto this very intense truth. And it, it is that Islamic terrorists see themselves inside of a 1,400-year-old storyline. 
uh, a script, if you will, a narrative. So when I saw this, I'm reading these stories from Muhammad's life. And then I'm seeing what ISIS or Al-Qaeda is doing, or Boko Haram, or any number of Muslim terrorists, Hamas. And I say, I know what they're doing. I see what they're doing. I, I, I know what they're quoting. And <clears throat> one of the things that I realized, that, and this will be of help to your viewers and your, and your listeners, is that the Quran is not the main source of the problem. So when I started reading the Quran, it's it's a very difficult book to understand, and we can talk about that later if you want, but I came to see as I studied Islam, and by the way, all I did was study primary sources in Islam. I have literally never read a book by somebody who is against Islam. All of my studies, in fact, you can see books behind me, for those of you that are watching on television, um, these are this is part of my library. Many of the books you see behind me are books primary sources from Islamic authors dating back over a thousand years. And as I studied those sources that are not the Quran, we're talking about the Hadith, we're talking about Sahih Muslim, Sahih Bukhari, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Kathir, Al-Tabari. As, as I started studying these canonical sources of Islamic history and theology, I thought, wow, the problem is not so much the Quran. The Quran is a problem. But the problem is the example that Muhammad left. Because Islam, as a religion, is the aggregate, if you will. It's the, it's the compilation of the Quran and the example that Muhammad left. It's a mountain of evidence, a mountain of quotes. The Quran is a small book. But the, the Hadith, these other books you see behind me, there's volumes. There's, you know, this is the tip of this spear, if you will. There's literally scores of volumes, millions of words, of tiny details of what Muhammad said, what he did, how he bathed, how he dressed himself, how he had sex with his multiple wives. I mean, it's, the details are mind-boggling. So, as I studied those Islamic primary sources, I realized there's the problem. And we're not reading those sources. We barely, in the West, if we're interested, we'll barely pick up the Quran. But, you know, Osama bin Laden, if you, you can see pictures of him with walls of books behind him. Those are all Hadith. Those are all the, the sayings and the, the example and the, and the deeds of Muhammad that are not in the Quran. They're, it's a whole different body of literature. So, as I, began to stumble into this, more like stagger into it because it was so overwhelming, I began to spend literally what has turned out to be years, years, reading primary sources on Islamic thought, the life of Muhammad, the hadith, the sirahs as they're called, the biographies, the canonical biographies of Muhammad. And I became, as in addition to being a pro-life activist, I became a student of Islam and Islamic terrorism. And because I'm a broadcaster, and I have, thank the Lord, I have a, a lovely television studio, a lot of great gear, we thought, okay, we're making a movie series. And we spent two years in production for the series, What Would Muhammad Do? Islamic, uh, 
What would Muhammad do? Islamic terrorism explained. We spent two years and large sums of money. We had over a hundred people working on this project from four continents. We have artists from around the world. We have ancient Islamic art that's been animated. We have voice actors from around the world. So part of it is me standing up and talking in front of the camera, but much of it is texts from this literature that I've been talking about and then pieces of art that we commissioned. We have over a hundred pieces of original art that we commissioned from artists around the world to to portray scenes from Muhammad's life. And as you see these scenes, then you say, oh my goodness, now I know why Boko Haram is doing what they do with young girls. They're just imitating Muhammad. So I went from being a pro-life leader uh, on a full-time basis to being a student of Islam, a student of Islamic terrorism, because I felt that God wanted me to do it. Mm. And it was a, it's been a rocky road. I, I can, we don't have time to, <laughs> to tell the difficulties and the death threats, multiple death threats because of my work and my research and this film series. So it, it's pretty brave of you. I, and, and I must, I, I give you props for this. Uh, what would Muhammad do? The shadow of the sword. It's, uh, it's an extremely informative DVD, lays it all out. Um, and, and I would urge again everyone to grab yourself a copy, voiceofresistance.org. Uh, you talk about an education, but to me, you're the smartest guy, the most intelligent guy among us in the room, so to speak, because you understand when when you for example the, the terror attack the attack at the um, uh, Paris Museum the Louvre today um the attacks that we've seen well over the last couple of decades basically you understand the motivation behind this but you also understand the culture that supports this mindset and, and i just don't think first of all i don't think many people get that and I, I certainly don't think that um the people in power fully understand it or if they do uh if they did understand it and they're they're operating the way they did yeah i I agree or there's something else going on so okay i i didn't mean to interrupt you there but i i'm just really impressed by the work and and so we've got a lot to talk about and i really want you to lay everything out the the way you the way uh you want to because i think our listeners and viewers are going to be really blessed by your investigative findings so basically what you're saying is it's the the Quran, not really the not really the the central problem. It's the Hadith, the Sunnah, the work or the. the well, it, it's it's the Quran is because the Quran, for example, um, Muhammad ordered the slaughter of the entire Jewish tribe of Banu Kuraiza. So his men gathered all the males together in batches. The, the Jews didn't know what was going on. And he, they brought them out in batches of eight or ten or twelve, and they had them kneel over a ditch, and they cut off their heads. And this went on all day and all night. There was somewhere between 600 and 900 Jewish males that were slaughtered. The stench, the sounds would have been unthinkable of all this blood and carnage. So every they would strip down the boys, the teenagers, and they would look for pubic hair. And if there was no pubic hair, they did not kill them. If there was pubic hair, then they decapitated them. Then they took all the women and children and they, dis- they divided them amongst the Muslims. 
and including sex slaves. And their houses, everything, was all divided among the Muslims. Now, what's interesting about this is that in uh, Surah, or uh, chapter 35 of the Quran, there is a reference to this event. And it says, God cast terror into the hearts of those who were your enemies, and they came down from their strongholds. Some you killed, some you took as captives, and the, you possessed a land that you had never set foot on before, for Allah is able to do all things. So this passage in the Quran acknowledges that the Confederates, the Jews, were captured. They came down out of their fortresses. They surrendered because they thought they were going to be exiled. They didn't know they were going to be butchered. And he says in the Quran, some you killed, some you took as captive, which is accurate. But the details aren't there. The Hadith gives the details. The biography of Muhammad written by Ibn Ishaq gives an incredible detail. So, when you read that verse in the Quran, if you don't know the back story, if you don't know the history of what it's discussing, then you could glaze right over it. You wouldn't even know what you're talking about. But when you look at the Quran, I'm sorry, when you look at the Hadith, and you see the details of how the Muslims gathered and had a trial what to do with all these Jews because the Jews surrendered it was 900 men we don't know how many children would have been way over 900 all their wives, their daughters and they had a trial of the Jews without any Jews present and so a man named Saad was chosen by Muhammad to be the judge and Saad had, had made statements earlier that he loved killing. He said, killing is dearer to me than sparing men's lives. Killing, murder, killing people, is dearer to me than sparing men's lives. So this was a man with some type of a murderous, psych psychotic edge on him. So he, he is picked as the judge. What do we do with the Jews? And he says, will you abide by my decision? Everyone says, yes. And he said, does that include everyone who's here? Because Muhammad was standing over there. And Muhammad nodded. And he said, then I decide that their men shall be killed, their women and children taken hostage, and their property divided amongst the Muslims. Now, Muhammad and his men had never... You know, they were early on the wave of violence. This was, they had committed acts of violence, they'd killed people, jihad was becoming a part and parcel of what they were doing. But up till that point, they had been primarily driving the Jews out of Medina, sending them to Syria, primarily to Syria. But in this case, we're going to kill all the men. And so you can, you can just feel the shock from Muhammad's troops. So Muhammad stands up and says, you have judged them with the judgment of God and his messenger. Because Muhammad called himself the messenger of God. So before any grumbling or any, are you, are you kidding me, could, could take hold, Muhammad stood to his feet and affirmed the death sentence. You have judged them with the judgment of God and his messenger. So his word was law by that time. 
So this is not a man who has lost control of his troops. You know, no one, this is not somebody saying, I didn't order him to do this. I didn't even know they were going to do it. No, no, no. This is a man who's in total charge. And he picks a man to be the judge who issues this genocidal verdict. He then says, yes, this is the judgment of God from the seventh heavens, he said. And it's the judgment of his messenger. So the Jews didn't have any representatives. Right? They didn't even know what was going to happen. So they dug trenches in Medina. And they went and they began to bring out the men in batches. Eight, ten, twelve men. And no one knew what was going on because they were not, it wasn't like they were behind a wall. They were in a completely different part of the city. They were, the sounds could not be heard where they were being held captive in, in the courtyard where they were being held. And batch after batch after batch, they brought out these men and they cut off their heads. They decapitated them in cold blood. This was old men, teenage boys. One boy testified later in his, his testimony is in the Hadith because he became a Muslim. He said, they came to us, they came to us and they searched for pubes, pubic hair. They searched for pubes and I was among those who had no pubic hair and so I was spared. And now he's an adult giving his testimony about what happened that day. So these women and children were distributed amongst the Muslims. Mohammed took a woman named Rehana as his own sex slave. In fact, I wonder if we've got a sound clip. Do we have? I, uh, I know your 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 man Eric there. Um, I don't know if we've got. Eric the check. Uh, Eric the check up is busy uh, checking right now. Yeah. So I know he worked on on a few of them. So we'll see if we... right. That, um, we could do. That's amazing. you know what you could do. Do episode six, shot four. This is another city. I'll give you the quick backdrop. This is another city called Kaibar. Um, the the Karayish tribe was slaughtered. The men were all slaughtered, and the women were distributed as sex slaves. And a, and a Jewish woman named Rehana was taken by Mohammed as his sex slave, and she died as a sex slave to him while she was there. So this this other one that we we're going to. Um, we have episode or uh, six four here ready to go. Go ahead, play it. We'll play this one. This is also very interesting. Okay. Stand by. Muhammad and his men conquered the predominantly Jewish city of Kaibar. After the victory, he told his men the terms under which they could rape the women. It's not lawful for a man who believes in Allah and the last day to mingle his seed with another man's, meaning to approach carnally a pregnant woman among the captives, nor is it lawful for him to take her until he has made sure that she is in a state of cleanness. Being in a state of cleanness means that she had her menstrual cycle, ensuring that she was not pregnant. After the Battle of Kaibar, Muhammad took for himself a sex slave, the beautiful teenager Safiya, after he had her husband tortured with fire to find hidden money and then had him beheaded. The Prophet then brought Safiya, whom he had won from the war booty. The Muslims said amongst themselves, will she, Safiya, be one of the mothers of the believers? 
one of the wives of the Prophet, or just a lady captive, of what his right hand possesses. Some of them said, if the Prophet makes her observe the veil, then she will be one of the mothers of the believers, one of the Prophet's wives. And if he does not make her observe the veil, then she will be his lady slave. There it so, is. Um, again, uh, Doug and Joe, so that for those of your viewers who just joined us, in this series, we only use primary Islamic documents. And you can see, um, I know that most of your, uh, your audience is audio right now, they're radio, so they can't see that the text is there. So you can hear these Arabic, some of them are voice actors, almost all of them are actually Arabic. <laughs> That's why their accents are so thick. So the texts that they are quoting are on the screen, and so are the references. So when somebody gets this series, they're getting literally years, thousands of hours of research to show the pattern that Muhammad left on a great number of issues that impact us today. So this particular story, um, <clears throat> completely unprovoked, a, a lot of the Jews who had fled from Medina, where Muhammad was the absolute ruler, resettled in a town called Kaibar, and Muhammad and his men just launched an unprovoked attack, completely unprovoked. They went up, and they took one fort, one castle after another, and they killed all the men. And this particular uh, girl, Safiya, was married to a man named Kinana, who was an elder. He was uh, the treasurer. And he had just married her. She was still in her teens. All accounts say that she was just incredibly beautiful. And Muhammad tortured this man. He, they had him tied down to the ground, and they built a fire on his chest. They, they built a fire of flint on his chest to torture him to get him to confess where the money was. So this was torture for money. I mean, let the full weight of that sink in. This is not you know, waterboarding to find out if there's a terrorist attack. This is torture by fire to find out where money is. So he uh, tortured this man to death, and then one of the other men in the army got Sophia. And, and one of Muhammad's lieutenants came and said, hey, so-and-so has got this girl named Sophia, and she is the most beautiful woman in the town, and she only belongs to you. Trust me, Muhammad, she only belongs to you. So Muhammad summoned her and summoned, summoned this other guy who got her. That, you know, She was his share of the booty. And he said to the guy, pick another woman, I'm taking her. So he took her and made her his sex slave and then thought better of it and said, I'm going to make you my wife. And his wedding gift to her was her freedom. Uh, Mr. Terry, if we could stop right there. We're up against um, our uh, break, uh, and we'll pick up right there where we left off. It's um, mind-boggling to think. Primary source <laughs> material is what he's referencing, by the way, folks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's disturbing. I mean, it is very disturbing but at the same time it needs to be talked about it needs to be uh, the light of day needs to shine on it so people understand the the origins and, and the roots of what we are up against and what we are fighting today we're our guest is randall terry he'll be with us till the end of the show his website is voiceofresistance.org don't go anywhere we'll be right back 
Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. There shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric's. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? New Year from all of us at Trading Post in the Woods. We pray you have a healthy, safe, and prosperous 2017. And we would like to thank all of you for welcoming us to the Hagman and Hagman family. You're all a very wonderful and special group of people. Because we believe it is so important for you to work and acquire good health this year, we're going to do something that we've never done before as a thank you to you for your support. We're going to make something available that we believe everyone needs. During the month of January, anyone who invests in their health by purchasing either our American Heritage Remedies Kit, our Survivalist Natural Remedies Kit, or $200 in individual remedies of your choice, we're going to give to you our crisis remedy just in case for free. Your health must be a part of your preparation plan. We're here to help you with that dream. May God bless y'all, and may God bless America. Happy Happy New Year! Year! everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Special guest Randall Terry, voiceofresistance.org. That's voiceofresistance.org. I'm just, you know, I watched that clip. Uh, Folks, the DVD itself is just amazing. The series is amazing. Um, What we don't know, or what many people don't know, you need to know what you don't know. And Randall Terry fits that bill before we get back to him. Oh, by the way, I want to mention too to, uh, to everyone, uh, I'm scheduled to be on, uh, InfoWars this Monday, this Monday coming up. I believe it's, uh, two o'clock Eastern, just as an FYI. So if you want to, 
uh, mark that in your calendar. I'm going to be on with Alex uh, uh, this coming Monday um, for a few segments, I believe. We're going to be talking about a number of different things. So that's InfoWars this Monday. Uh, before we get back to Mr. Terry, I want to direct everyone's attention to their preparations, your pantry. Look in your pantry. You might have all the food that you need and water and such, but let me tell you something. You need a rocket stove. You need a rocket stove, not just any rocket stove, but a rocket stove from Minuteman, minutemanstove.com. That's where you go to get it. Um, in these uncertain, perilous times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for cooking. End of story. If you don't have one, you need one. That's where MinutemanStove.com comes in. Don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Eventually, the, the, the supplies are going to run dry. And burning wood inefficiency, like over an open fire or fireplace, it, it requires a lot of manual labor. The Minuteman solves all of these problems. It's easy to, to uh, use, to feed. Uh, prepare your family. Prepare yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times a heck of a lot better. It's it's a handmade stove that's manufactured in the United States. In fact, in North Carolina, they're extremely rugged. They're serving with our troops in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, it, it's it's really, folks, it's the best rocket stove on the market today. Bar yeah. none. Portable, Min- yep. light, yep. easy to use, easy to clean. Um, and it's got a it se- seal too yeah. on it, you know, and, and it cooks at, at temperatures that you would not. Uh, you have to to build, you know, as my dad said, a big fire. In a in a space of just a, a few inches, uh, and it, it's very to a kitchen stove. Yeah, and it's very easy to use. Minutemanstove.com. Uh, Mr. Terry, before the break, we were uh, you were you were telling us a story, um, and you were telling us how you know the Quran and, and versus a lot of these uh, the Quran won't really make a lot of sense. You won't get the backstories that you would by studying all this other material that you've uh, talked about. You want to pick up where you left off? I would. Um, with your permission, can I show a, Can I show this to your viewers? You can show you can it. Yeah. Thank you. This is the, uh, for those of you who are listening, I used to do radio and now I do TV. I like radio so much more. Radio is so much more engaging. Um, it's four DVDs. So we have ten episodes that are highly produced with voice actors and art. And then we have another ten Extras. We, we had so much material that we had to leave on the editing room floor. I said, I, I'm not doing, I'm not doing it. I did all this research and there's no way that I'm not going to give this material to our friends, to viewers, to people in the military, to people in the state department, to people in law enforcement. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give you folks this offer. And we give it to everyone. Complete 100% money back guarantee. You can go to our website right now and you can watch episode one for free. Okay, watch it and see the quality, all original music, um, great voice actors, animation, artists from around the world. You can buy one set or four sets or 10 sets or 15 sets, 30 sets. And the more you buy, the cheaper the price gets. But number one, we give a complete money-back guarantee, no questions asked. And here's what's crazy. We've never had one set come back, ever. Now, this has just come out. We've only shipped about 4,000 sets. But the greatest testimony that we have that people love this is that they order one, 
And then two weeks later, we get a check. They're ordering six or ten. Or some people have ordered a case of 30 because they say, I've never seen anything like this. I, and the truth is, no one has ever produced anything like this. You guys have had some experts on your show for sure. Sure. And uh, one of uh, Dr. Bill Warner, who is way ahead of me as far as knowledge of Islam, he's written 15 books on Islam. He watched the series and he said, Randall, this is the best production for TV or movies that has ever been done on the planet. Because the truth of the matter is, no one's ever done it. No one's ever taken the time to connect the dots from Muhammad's life to modern terrorists and to use images in a movie-like with, with uh, setting with animation. So I encourage people, it's four DVDs. And it's only 35 bucks for four DVDs. You can get two sets for 60, four sets for 100. And give them away. Give them to your pastor. Give them to your chief of police. Give them to your elected officials in your area. But I promise you, you will learn more about Islam and Muhammad and hence Islamic terrorism than anything you've ever read in your life, anything you've ever watched in your life. And I know what's out there because I have a master's degree in terrorism. So I know what's there and I know what we've produced is unique. So you'll be, you'll be able to learn about anti-Semitism, when Muhammad went from being a peaceful preacher to a warlord. Cause there was a time, in fact, maybe we should talk about that. I, sure. I, you guys, all right. <clears throat> we've all heard, by the way, I've, I've been sick. And so my voice is deeper and scratchier than it normally is. And I apologize. Please forgive me, Doug and Joe. The way you hear me in the in the um, movie series is the way I normally sound, and I sound like heck right now. <clears throat> We've all heard endlessly from Council on American Islamic Relations, who are who are deceivers and liars. Okay, the care is they're a front group for Islam, and they're they're deceivers, they're liars about the true nature of Islam, and they know they're liars, and I've debated them before. They will tell us. Muhammad was a man of peace. Islam is a religion of peace. Now, that is the truth, and it is a lie at the same time. And more importantly, it's a lie in the big picture, and here's how. Muhammad said he started getting his visions when he was about 40 years old, and he was living in Mecca. And he began to preach. For 10 years, he preached in Mecca and preached monotheism, that God is one. He denied the Trinity, and he said that the God of the Jews is the true God. The God of the Christians is the true God, but the priests corrupted the religion of truth and gave us the Trinity. And he condemned all of the idolatry that was in Mecca, because Mecca was a very important city for idolatry. He preached for 10 years peacefully. But towards the end of that time, his protector, his uncle, died, and the elders of the city were beginning to ha to hatch a plot to kill him. So he fled to a city called Medina. And for a couple of years before he went there, he was saying, I'm a prophet of God, I'm commanding you to forsake idols, worship God only, and I'm his prophet, and protect me, and give me the chance to proclaim the message that I'm supposed to proclaim. So he would be going to different cities or talking to different travelers coming to Mecca, giving them this message over and over. And finally, a group of men from Medina said, 
Oh, you're a prophet? All right, you can come and you can lead us. That's literally how it happened. So he fled Mecca and barely escaped with his life because at that point they were trying to kill him. Completely peaceful. That whole 10-year span, he was totally peaceful. And he only had about 200 converts. Literally, in 10 years of preaching, he had about 200 people that said, yes, I'll forsake idols. Muhammad is the prophet of God. I believe that there's only one God. So he gets to Medina, <clears throat> along with those followers that emigrated with him, and they attack a caravan. His men attack a caravan and kill somebody and steal the caravan. And Muhammad's people are flipping out, going, whoa, 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 we didn't sign up for this. And Muhammad said he got a revelation that killing was indeed bad, but what the what the Meccans did by driving the Muslims out of Mecca was way worse. So then he kept all of the stolen goods. Well, then another caravan was coming, a huge caravan. And he said, this caravan belongs to Quraysh. It will obtain, it will contain much wealth. Attack it. God may give it to you. And so Muhammad literally led 300 men into the desert to try and find this caravan and to, to steal it. So the Meccans heard about it and they sent an army of a thousand men, including 200 heavy cavalry. Muhammad's guys had about 60 camels, two horses, so Muhammad's men were greatly outnumbered, more than three to one. And the Meccans were, now they're saying, we're going to kill this guy. Because he attacked our first caravan, killed one of the men. He's trying to take this caravan, and we've had it with him. We're going to kill him. So Muhammad's 300 against the Meccans 1,000. And they meet in conflict at a, at a well called Badr. B-A-D-R. The Battle of Badr. And if somebody goes and watches episode one, we deal with Badr. And episode two is only about the Battle of Badr. Because it was at the Battle of Badr that Muhammad's changed from being a peaceful preacher to the warlord of jihad. And it was the first time, for example, that he told his men, if you die in battle today, you will be given paradise. And his, his men were like, man, we didn't even know we were going to fight. We, we came to steal a caravan. We came to get money. We didn't come to fight these guys. So he whipped them into this frenzy, and they won. They beat the Meccans, three to one odds. And most of the elders of Mecca were actually killed in battle. And Muhammad threw their bodies into a well and stood over their dead bodies for three days. Their body was just, it was disgusting. But Muhammad is standing over their dead bodies in a well, taunting them, taunting their dead bodies. So, this is when he changed from being a peaceful preacher to using jihad. And there were two men, it, they captured 70 hostages of the Meccans. They killed 70 men and 70 were taken hostage and the rest of the Meccans fled back to Mecca. And they, they, he took two hostages who had been mocking him back when he lived in Mecca and he brought them before him and he had their heads cut off. And you can see that, that whole transition in episode two and three, because episode three is about the killing of mockers. That's why they try and kill cartoonists around the world. That's why they killed, uh, Van Gogh. Theo Van Gogh was killed in, in Holland 
because he made a movie showing how women are abused in Islam. And they cut, they cut his throat in broad daylight in downtown Copenhagen. So, and, and, and Mr. Terry, when that happened, I just want to affirm the importance of this, especially for law enforcement listening to this, yeah. uh, Homeland Security. We, when we were um, monitoring the locked password-protected chat rooms of Islamic terrorists, sympathizers, and terrorists themselves. The Battle of Badr was referenced numerous times leading up to Bingo. 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 And we know, as Christians, we know the Nativity. We know the Resurrection, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus forgiving the woman caught in adultery, Jesus walking on water. In other words, these stories, we don't even think about how much we know them and how they're just part of the very fiber of Western civilization. We make jokes that are about Christ. Well, that guy's so arrogant he thinks he walks on water. That's referring to Jesus. Well, they don't have our stories. They have their own stories. And their central story is the Battle of Badar. It is the, to them, it is the most important battle, the most important event of human history. Because, now think about that. In human history, that battle was the most important battle and the most important event. Because they said that it, it showed truth conquering lies. Muhammad compared it to Moses leading the Israelites out, and then God drowning Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. So, we don't, we, most of us have never even heard of Badr. And they live this. So, so if a Christian is reading their Bible, and they're reading the book of Acts, and they're reading the Gospels, and they became, they become really devout, well what happens to them? If they're Protestant, they become like Charles Spurgeon or Amy Carmichael, or they become, if they're Catholic, they become like Mother Teresa. So, because we have our stories. We have our narratives. We have our storyline. So I want to be like the book of Acts. Well, they have their storyline. And their storyline is, I want to be like Mohammed at Badr. Because that was the great victory. And one of the passages in the Hadith said, that Muhammad, and this is almost a word for word quote. <clears throat> Muhammad and his followers forgave the pagans and the people of the book for their mockery until Allah commanded them, as long as Allah commanded them to do so. But at Badr, Allah killed the pagans through Muhammad. And that's when Allah gave permission to Muhammad to fight. He no longer had to forgive people who didn't believe. Now he was ordered by Allah to kill them, to fight them. Um, there was another one. There was another clip that Eric. Do we have time before your next? Sure. Break yeah, we, absolutely, we do. And and folks, if you're just joining us, Randall Terry is our guest. Uh, what a tremendous education we're getting, and, and the importance of this that we know this. We know the tactics of the enemy. It's so important. Voiceofresistance.org is his <clears throat> website. I highly recommend, highly recommend the, uh, uh, the DVD series, What Would Muhammad Do? Um, as well as, let, go ahead, sir. Well, let me give out a phone number. I can tell you that you may get through, you may not. If you get through to a live person, 
You can talk to them. If not, leave a message and we'll call you back. So you can go and order it online, which is the easiest to do. Go to voiceofresistance.com or .org and you can watch episode one and you can see all the table of contents or you can call. There's people who still don't want to order online. So here's the phone number. 304-289-3700. So grab a pen and paper. I'll give that number again in a second. But um, <clears throat> I think that what we should do uh, Eric, if you're there, let's oh, he's look always at, here. Yeah, <laughs> he's your go-to man. Um, I've got Billy Bob here. We go ahead and play shot five, episode six, shot five. Now, what this is going to show us is how Muhammad's behavior that is not in the Quran it, and the Quran together make Sharia law. Mm. So we, we've heard of Sharia law repeatedly. You, you know, sure. many hosts are talking about it. What, what most of us don't realize is that Sharia law is the composite of the Quran and the words and deeds of Muhammad that are in the Hadith along with the consensus of Muslim scholars. And there are four major schools of Islamic Sharia law and there's very little differentiation between them. For example, all four schools of Islamic Sharia law say that an, an apostate, a Muslim who leaves Islam and becomes a Christian, okay, all four schools of Islamic Sharia law say that the apostate must die. Some of them say he has to be killed immediately. Some of them say beat him, throw him in prison for three days, then give him one more chance to come back to Islam. So there's different nuances, but they all say he's got to die. So Sharia law is the Quran, the example of Muhammad, and the um, the consensus of scholars. And I've got to tell you this one other thing, and then we'll play this clip. If you watch episode one of the series, we have quotes from the Saudi Arabian Constitution and the Pakistan Constitution. We don't have, we didn't have time for the Egyptian Constitution, but what, um, both the Saudi Arabian Constitution and the Pakistani Constitution say that their laws are based upon the Quran and Muhammad's example. The Quran, over and over, the Quran and Muhammad's example in the Hadith. And then what we did in the extras reel is we went through every single Muslim constitution on the planet and we showed that every single Muslim constitution is built on the Quran and Muhammad's example, which is why they are so oppressive. That's why they're so oppressive, because Muhammad's example after the Battle of Badr was brutal. It was unthinkable, as we're about to see in this clip. So in this particular clip that we're, that we're going to see, Muhammad's men <clears throat> had captured a bunch of women. And usually they killed the men. And then they would just rape the women. But in this circumstance, the men, for some reason, they hadn't killed all the men and the men were alive. And so Muhammad's soldiers were saying, well, can we have sex with these women or not? Because they're married. So we see the words of Muhammad. We'll see a Quranic verse. And then we'll see how Sharia law integrates it. And Sharia law specifically says that any woman 
who is captured by a Muslim army, if she's married when she's captured, that her marriage is immediately annulled and she's free to be raped. So, Eric, if you would, if you would uh, play that. Here it goes. In another account of Muhammad's brutality toward women captured in battle, we read this. Allah's messenger sent an army to Altas and encountered the enemy and fought with him. Having overcome them and taking them captive, the companions of Allah's messenger seemed to refrain from having intercourse with a captive woman because of their husbands being polytheists. Usually, Muslims killed all the husbands. However, on this occasion, the husbands were still alive. Muhammad's men didn't know what to do, so they asked Muhammad if it was legal to rape these married women while their husbands yet lived. Muhammad said he got a revelation from God. Muslims were forbidden to have sex with married women unless they were slaves or captives of war, such as the women they had just captured. Also forbidden are women already married except those captives and slaves whom your right hands possess. With Muhammad's approval and a Quranic revelation to justify their detestable crimes, his men proceeded to rape their female captives, young and old, virgins and the married. Those of Muhammad's men who raped married women could not be accused of adultery because all their marriages were annulled. They could not be accused of rape because the women were slaves. Based on these words and actions of Muhammad, Islamic Sharia law states, When a child or a woman is taken captive, they become slaves by the fact of capture, and the woman's previous marriage is immediately unknown. Okay. Now the the woman's previous marriage is annulled. And by the way, that wow. those um, those passages you're going to hear in some of the other clips, ISIS in their magazine quoting hadith. ISIS boasts, "You betcha we have sex slaves because Muhammad did, and we're following his example." Exactly, and this is why, folks, it's so important to understand the tactics of the enemy. Terrorism is not uh, a target. It is a tactic. And I just want to remind people of that. And, you know, Islamic terrorism, that phrase that the Obama regime had been so (laughs) averse to. Well, welcome to the party, everybody. Now, Now, maybe some people might understand why people like Mr. Terry and us, even to a degree, have to have security details. Uh, you start showing this stuff and start explaining what's going on here. It, uh, it changes the game. It's a game changer indeed. Okay. Uh, we got about two minutes of the break. Go ahead, sir. Well, we'll when we come back, we're, uh, my man here is seeing all kinds of people saying, tell us about deception. Tell us about Takia. And we can do that when we come back. Okay. Um, the, I, Randall, if I can, while we have the time here, um, the title, What Would Muhammad Do? Is that uh, a play from, you know, the, the What Would Jesus Do? It uh, is. Okay. It is. Free marketing. Uh, yeah. What Would Muhammad Do? And we, one of the reasons that we named it that was because we always talk about Islam and Islamic terrorism. Well, really it's about Muhammad because Muhammad's the one who gave the example. So, 
what would Muhammad do? Islamic terrorism explained. One of our ads that we're putting together says, is Islam a threat? The founder of Islam will tell you. What would Muhammad do? Islamic terrorism explained. Very, very on target, very clever. Is the reason, I mean, obviously, the reason the news media, you know, they, they talk about Islam and being a religion of peace and they talk about the Muslims being peaceful and uh, they won't even say violent radical extremism or radical Islamic extremists. Is, do they intentionally, do you think they leave this stuff out for I think purposes that, I of think that most, brainwashing or fear? Uh, I don't think it's either. You know, I, I despise the main fake news. I don't call them mainstream news anymore. We should just call them the main fake news. But they are stupid. They're yeah. lazy, too. Many of them are lazy. So when when I first started into this study, I, I was going to do a thesis on whether or not media was was able to cover Islam. Even able. Because they don't know what questions to ask. Very true. Wow. We'll stop right there, and we'll we'll pick up on the other side. Uh, folks who have joined us late, our guest is Randall Terry. His website, voiceofresistance.org, and his uh, DVD, as you can see on the screen, What Would Muhammad Do? Um, it's a, a Islamic terror explained, obviously. And, and you know something? It's a, a four-part DVD, I believe. Yeah, uh, yes, four DVDs. Uh, i got to tell you, if you're a law enforcement officer, a pastor, yeah. Grab a hold of this series. Grab yeah. a hold of this DVD. That is, we talk about this all the time. Even in the Bible, it says, you know, beware of the devil's devices. Yep. We have to know our enemy and how they, you know, plan on destroying us. We'll be back with Randall Terry for the next hour. After this, stay with us. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. 
For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, Randall Terry. You can't you can't get any better than what we're seeing right now in terms of explaining the threat that we face right now. Please pay attention to this. This please pay attention to every word that is being spoken here and take this spread the message of this show, this episode to your pastor, to your family. Please ask them to understand what what we face. This is the guy. Randall Terry is the man, the go-to man for all of this. You heard his bona fides. He don't get any better than that. Before we get back to our guest, uh, I want you to imagine your daughter, your wife. We're, we're talking about this right now. Uh, let's say they've been kidnapped to be used as a sex slave. Imagine having to abandon your your older parents as an as ISIS advances just to save your children imagine that you're a mother living in an open field with no money after your husband was killed due to his religion and you feel compelled to prostitute yourself just to feed your toddlers imagine living in refugee camps where you're attacked daily by mortars or where your children from nearby where the children from nearby villages dump scorpions so your family can be bitten i mean just imagine this stuff imagine needing to walk a mile uphill just for fresh water because people people defecate upstream contaminating the drinking water reaching christians below yes i said christians this is the stuff you won't hear on mainstream media this is the stuff that you won't hear on syndicated radio this is the stuff people are afraid to talk about imagine being denied an american visa because you're a christian and meanwhile, non-Christian refugees freely come to your country, invade, immigrate to the United States. Imagine this litany of pain and suffering, and you'll know. You'll know what it's like to be an Assyrian Christian in the Middle East. Folks, help defend Assyrian Christians. You can make that difference. Help defend Assyrian Christians in need. Give to the United Assyrian Appeal.org. United Assyrian 
I'm sorry, unitedassyrianappeal.org. Let me say that one more time, unitedassyrianappeal.org. That is united, and then the word Assyrian, A-S-S-Y-R-I-A-N, appeal.org. Please, folks, somebody has got to stand up for these people. Our guest, Randall Terry. Joe. Yeah, um, and the, we've had Randall Terry on uh, from the last hour, and he'll be with us until the end of the show. And he is covering some aspects of, of Muhammad, of, of Islam, of, and the Quran, uh, things that we really haven't um, dug into too deep before. And uh, this is very educational and important. Uh, just before the break, we mentioned how, you know, in the scripture it says that, you know, to not be, uh, to, to be aware of the devil's devices and to know our enemy. And this is exactly what uh, Mr. Terry is presenting to us, and it's uh, it's fascinating. So, Mr. Terry, go ahead and continue. Well, you guys hit the nail on the head with know your enemy. And uh, two things. My wife came in during the break and said, Randall, please let people know that we're not afraid. We are not afraid. We're not fear-mongering. We're not trying to make people afraid. We're trying to help people know their enemy. Winston Churchill is one of my heroes, and I know he's a hero for you guys. I can tell by the way you talk. So he read Mein Kampf. In 1934, 35, 36, when Time Magazine was calling Hitler Man of the Year, and Baldwin and McDonald and Chamberlain were praising Hitler and cutting deals with Hitler, Churchill was saying, he's a madman. He's going to plunge all of Europe into war. We must hem him in. We must destroy him. Hitler was Hitler wrote out what he intended to do in Mein Kampf. And Churchill had the smarts to read Mein Kampf. So if we're going to understand Islam, we have to know them. We have to understand how they think. For example, the self-proclaimed caliph, uh, which means successor in um, and those of you who are tweeting us and texting us like crazy, yes, we'll talk about deception and abrogation in a minute. But just let me make this point. We, we, oh, I forgot my thought. Where was I going with this lane? So we, Churchill read Mein Kampf. He studied it and he knew his enemy. We don't know our enemy. And therefore we can't know what they're thinking. So the guy who is the head of ISIS right now, his name, his self-taken name is Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Now, if we don't know Islamic history, that, that would mean nothing to us. He might as well name himself Santa Claus. But Abu Bakr was Muhammad's father-in-law. Abu Bakr was the dad of the little child bride, Aisha, who Muhammad had sex with when she was nine years old. Abu Bakr was the first caliph. Caliph means successor. So after Muhammad died, the first guy in charge was Abu Bakr. And the first thing that Abu Bakr did was launch the apostasy wars. Because when Muhammad died, most of the Arabian Peninsula had already been converted by that time. He had, it was a brutal, brutal subjugation of Arabia. And one by one, cities said, okay, yes, we're in. There is no God but God. And Muhammad is his messenger. They would swear the oath. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his apostle. Okay, you're in. Well, when Muhammad died, 
these people said, that's behind us. Muhammad's dead. Let's go back to our pagan religions. And Abu Bakr said, no. Muhammad's dead, but Allah is alive. And you swore an oath to Allah. And if you don't stay with Islam, we're going to kill you. So, so Abu Bakr launched the apostasy wars, killed tens of thousands of people to ensure that Arabia stayed Islamic. So when this guy from ISIS picks the name Abu Bakr, he's saying, I'm the guy. I'm going to use the sword to deal with apostasy in Islam. I'm going to kill Muslims. I'm going to kill people who are in my path to establish Islam and Sharia law just like Abu Bakr did after the death of Muhammad. It's, we don't know the story. We don't know why he's naming himself that. If we know the story, it all makes sense. So we've got to know our enemy. We've got to study their material. And the reason we put this series together, and this is like a college education, people. <laughs> I, I spent I spent over $30,000, thanks to uh, many of our benefactors, we spent over $30,000 to get a master's degree in diplomacy and international terrorism. And my poor wife was a, <clears throat> was a university widow for a while. And you get the fruit. You get the fruit. You can buy the fruit for DVDs for 35 bucks, And you get all of this resource material, all of these quotes, all of the primary sources at your fingertips. And as, as Doug said earlier, Buy more than one set and give one to your chief of police. Mm -hmm. Give one to your pastor. Give one to the head of your fire department because he's going to have to deal with it. Get the word out, not so that we can be afraid, but so that we can know our enemy, so that we can understand what we're facing. And I'll say one other thing and then we can move on to whatever you guys want to talk about. And that is that, by the way, the website is voiceofresistance.org or WWMD.TV What Would Mohammed Do? WWMD.TV And you can go and you can watch the first episode for free. You can order the series. And I encourage you to order multiple series. And again, money back guarantee, no questions asked if you get it and you don't like it. So, and, and, back to you. The, the, the one thing that I really want to say about this, and your videos, by the way, uh, if folks watch uh, Mr. Terry's videos, all of them about wide-ranging issues but but one thing about this particular um this particular dvd package is we are to me this puts everything in context and and what we've lacked you know for so many years is in my at least in my view is the context even today you hear these mm -hmm. these idiot people in in the main fake media you're right um Say well, you know, uh, Islam uh, to the, the attacks. It's it's a um, it's a bastardization of Islam. Right, but, not... they, they say that the terrorists have stolen or hijacked right. the yeah. peaceful religion of Islam. A bunch of hooey. That's crap. Exactly. That's crap. Exactly. And, and even today, uh, you know, we we see the attack today in Paris, and we've seen s such horrific attacks. If if we don't if we don't educate the people in power and that's from the politicians to the police to as you said the firefighters to the pastors we're not going to win 
I mean, yep. it, at least in, in the we know who the folks don't send me emails. I, I look, we understand in a larger sense who wins. We, we we win. Jesus wins. We understand that. But in the meantime, how many lives can we save? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm with you on that, Doug, because there's been tens of thousands, well, probably millions of Christians who have been beheaded, starved to death. Their children were kidnapped to become janissaries. I mean, there's this multi-hundred-year history where Muslims would occupy a Christian country and steal baby boys to become militant Muslim bodyguards and then send these children back to torment their family 20 years later. I mean, some of this stuff is beyond demonic. Well, okay. So, if if I can if I can address this with you here, what we saw under Obama's reign, eight year reign of <laughs> uh, you know whatever, um, yeah. this open door immigration policy, I, I submit, and I, and I know you agree, and I, I've knowing your material, this is immigration jihad, isn't it? Conquest by it, it, it's so glaring. None are as blind as the willfully blind. So, you know, the emperor's new clothes, they're beautiful. No, he's naked, and he's flabby, and he's pink and ugly. So, we have these refugees pouring in, and the truth of the matter is that many of them are refugees. We just don't know which ones. And and I, I'm going to up the ante here. Because President Trump has, and I'm so thrilled that we have President Trump. Thank you, God, that we were, we got a reprieve. Can you imagine how we'd be sick to our stomach saying President Hillary? Oh, yeah, thanks. Oh, that just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Anyway, they've gone out of their way to say this is not a Muslim ban. I think in some ways that's prudent. They have to do that. But they're denying us the opportunity to have a genuine debate about the existential threat that Islam is. Islamic law is committed to the overthrow of the U.S. Constitution, for example. Committed to the overthrow of the U.S. Constitution. It's a duty. Jihad is a duty, according to Muhammad and according to Islamic law. So, when we see these refugees coming in, we don't know which ones are terrorists. But to go a step further, the seven nations on the ban, the media has been pointing out, the main fake news is saying, well, most of the terrorist attacks in America didn't even come from these countries. You're right. You you know what? We should expand the list. (laughs) Because the terrorists are coming from Pakistan, from Egypt, from Afghanistan, from Saudi Arabia. The greatest villain out there is Saudi Arabia. They, the single largest financier of terrorism in the world is not Iran. It's Saudi Arabian oil sheiks. Iran has the designation under international law, under U.S. law, the State Department, of being a state sponsor of terrorism. So that means that the state cuts the check. But the largest financier of Islamic terrorism are Saudi Arabian businessmen, wealthy sheiks. Remember, Osama bin Laden came from a wealthy family. So, Saudis are not state sponsors of terrorism, but they're still, the, the, the Saudi Arabian Peninsula and its wealthy oil sheiks, they're the number one financier of terrorism. Now, concerning the refugees, most of the attackers 
on U.S. soil and European soil, but most of the attackers on U.S. soil were here legally, not illegally, they were here legally, or they were born here. They were born from Muslim parents who emigrated from another country. So what's the connection? Islam, Mohammed, Alton Nelson, that guy who beheaded Colleen Hufford in Oklahoma, he wasn't even raised as a Muslim. He was he converted. So the thread that everyone wants to ignore is Islam. And these people who were born in the U.S. or emigrated here legally and are citizens committing these attacks, like in Orlando and the and the Pentagon, etc. The threat is Islam. And the threat is, we have an allegiance to Allah, we have an allegiance to Muhammad, we have an allegiance to Sharia law. The issue is not that they had an allegiance to Somalia or Syria or Yemen or any of the countries on the list. No, that's not the issue. The issue is they have an allegiance to Islam. And Islam is committed to the conquest of the earth and it's committed to deceiving us into thinking that it's not true. Deception is one of the most powerful tools of Islam and that deception was authorized by Muhammad himself. And, and that's the uh, taqiyya that, that people have been asking about uh, um, essentially saying you're giving one a pass to lie one's butt off in order to accomplish the objectives. Kind of the Marxist principle that the uh, objectives or the uh, ends yeah, justify the means. And it gives them the ability to infiltrate yeah. societies, organizations, institutions under that veil of deception. Uh, Mr. Terry, if we can just back up a second. I yeah. want to, if I could for a second, talk about Takia just for one minute. Do we have a minute to do that? Okay. Yeah. Um, there was a scene in Muhammad's life where he was being mocked by a Jew, half Jew, half Arab, named Cobb. Cobb, son of Ashraf. And Muhammad said, who will rid me of Cobb, the son of Ashraf? Muhammad would regularly dispatch assassins to kill people. And this guy said, I'll kill him for you, O apostle of God. So after two or three days, he hadn't gone to try and kill him. And Muhammad said, what's wrong? What's, what's the problem? You're not eating. And he said, I'm afraid that I'm going to fail. And he said, just do what you need to do. If you don't succeed, it's okay. And he said, and I quote, O apostle of God, we shall have to tell lies. And Muhammad said to him, say what you like. You are absolved in the matter. Now, Deceit in war is normal. Okay, we, we, we all acknowledge that, that it's an actual principle that we can function under deceiving the enemy. But he went to Cobb. He got a relative, a foster brother of Cobb to go with him who had become a Muslim. And they went to Cobb and they slandered Muhammad. They actually made Cobb think that they didn't like Muhammad, that they wish he would leave Medina that he was a problem, that he was a burden. So they got Cobb to let down his guard by actually slandering Mohammed. Now think about that. 
Compare that to Christianity. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before God and the angels. Muhammad said, if you deny me, if in your heart you don't deny me, it's okay. And he said to these, which makes you wonder about Barack Hussein Obama, and he said to these other, um, he said to the guys, if you need to, if you want to slander me, go ahead, just make sure that you kill Cobb. He wanted that man dead, and they got him. They lured him out on a night stroll, and they butchered him. They killed him, cold blood, just because he had written poetry against Muhammad. That was his crime, writing poems against Muhammad. So your viewers who are asking us questions about taqiyya, deception, we have an entire episode committed to just taqiyya. And we have another whole episode in the extras reel committed to just abrogation, which is used to deceive us. And uh, it, just go and get the series, friends. Go to voiceofresistance.com, order one, two, four sets. And again, for everyone who's listening, a complete, no questions asked, 100% money back guarantee. And no one has ever taken us up on it, ever. And people are ordering multiple copies. They order one and go, oh no, I need to get four more. And they're ordering more. That happens every day. We get our second order come in from someone who says, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like it. It's because there is nothing like it. So right now we've got the playing field to ourselves. <laughs> but I can promise you, Doug and Joe, somebody is going to do another series. They'll probably steal all my research and make a better movie out of it. As usual. Yeah. Uh, now, let me ask you about, oh, I've got to ask your, your reasoned opinion about Obama. <laughs> What we saw the last eight years, uh, to, to me, uh, I'll just preface it by saying this, 9-11, then uh, the remaining uh, portion of George Bush's term and, and re-election and such, greased the skids, in my view, for the selection, ultimate election, and installation of Barack Hussein Obama. I truly, looking into the matter, I truly believe Maricopa County Sheriff's Department had proven the document as birth records to be a forgery, nine points of forgery. But that aside, the larger picture here, Obama, Muslim, Muslim sympathizer. I mean, we know it's obvious he was a Muslim sympathizer. But how about How about some comedy? You want some comic relief? Sure. All right. So you've heard that there's five pillars of Islam. And one of the five pillars is that Muslims are required to pray five times a day. What most of us don't know, again, because we don't know the stories, is the, is the mirage. It's called the mirage. It's the night flight of Muhammad. Have you ever heard of the night flight? Uh, if you haven't, from okay. yours, yes, from you, but. <laughs> All right. So Muhammad falls asleep <clears throat> at the Kaaba in Mecca. This is before he became a warlord. And he said that he was woke, he was, he was awakened by Gabriel, who cut open his guts, took his heart out, washed it, stuck it back in, and then gave him a horse, half man, a mystical horse of some kind, half man, half horse with wings, and the horse's name was, you guessed it, Barak. So Barak, the horse, takes him to Jerusalem, he lands on top of the Temple Mount, which is why the Muslims claim that they have to have total authority in Jerusalem. 
And then from the Temple Mount, Muhammad allegedly ascends into heaven and sees all these different prophets, Jesus and Moses and John the Baptist and Abraham, and he goes up to see God, and God gives him the commandment to pray 50 times a day. And Moses says to Muhammad when he's coming up, no, 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 you can't do 50, you've got to lower it. So Muhammad talks God down to five times a day. Muhammad gets back on the horse and flies back to Mecca. And the five pillars of Islam now include you must pray five times a day. It's not in the Quran. It's in the Hadith. So Muhammad flies on a horse named Barak. That's the horse. The American president, Barack, is the horse's ass. And you cannot confuse the two. <laughs> Comic relief indeed. Yeah. I'm sorry. Can we say that on this air network? Well, you just did, so we'll just go with it. How's that? So, um, I think that Obama, and that story is true, by the way. I mean, the story is not true, but that five times a day prayer sure. and Muhammad flying, that's actually a part of Islamic um, orthodoxy. Right. If you don't believe that Muhammad flew on this horse, then you're considered a heretic. Man. So, I think, you know, I heard Rush say, <clears throat> if, Mo if Obama wasn't a Muslim, what would he do differently? And that's a great question. Because when Muhammad talks at a prayer breakfast and lectures us about how bad the Crusades are, no, the Crusades weren't bad. Yes, there were some sins that were committed during certain Crusades, but the reason that you and I don't speak Arabic is because of the Crusades. The Crusades saved Christendom from the threat of Islam. So I think that Obama's greatest treachery is the Iran deal. And I've, and I've tried to find out if, if Obama's dad was a Shiite or a Sunni Muslim. Because the, the Sunnis are the predominant part of Islam, but Iran, who is ancient Persia, is predominantly Shiite. Now, one person contacted me who's, who did research that I'm telling you his dad was Shiite. His dad was Shiite. His dad was Shiite. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but if his dad was Shiite, it would explain why Obama greased the skids for Iran to get all this money, knowing that they're a state sponsor of terrorism, okay? They use money to fund terrorism and why he would pave the way for them to have nuclear weapons, which they're going to have because of this deal, unless we stop them. So Pakistan has nuclear weapons. They're Sunnis. The Saudis funded most of the Pakistani nuclear program. So at any point, if the Saudis want to do the chit, you know, you, you owe me, give me the, the due bill has come, they can say to the Pakistanis, we want some nukes. So I often wonder if Muhammad's sympathy, secret, blatant, I don't know, if his sympathy for Shia Islam is why he paved the way for the Shiite Muslims of Iran to have all this money and to have the, the door open to them for nuclear weapons. And clearly he hated Israel. And if, and if, the, if, if Iran gets nukes, the state of Israel is in deep danger. Absolutely, and there is uh, just this week new developments uh, with the with the Iranian nuke situation, and it is interesting that while giving uh, lifting the, the monetary sanctions against Iran and giving them nuclear weapons capabilities, they came out and said that they were this deal was preventing 
um, Iran from developing nuclear uh, weaponry capabilities. And uh, sure. we, that's obviously you know a, a big lie. Folks, our guest is Randall Terry. He will be with us until uh, the end of the show after this next segment. His website is voiceofresistance.org. What would Muhammad do? DVDs. Also, www.wwmd.com. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric said. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow. It's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? New Year from all of us at Training Post in the Woods. We pray you have a healthy, safe, and prosperous 2017. And we would like to thank all of you for welcoming us to the Hagman and Hagman family. You're all a very wonderful and special group of people. Because we believe it is so important for you to work and acquire good health this year, we're going to do something that we've never done before as a thank you to you for your support. We're going to make something available that we believe everyone needs. During the month of January, anyone who invests in their health by purchasing either our American Heritage Remedies Kit, our Survivalist Natural Remedies Kit, or $200 in individual remedies of your choice, we're going to give to you our crisis remedy just in case for free. Your health must be a part of your preparation plan. We're here to help you with that journey. May God bless y'all, and may God bless America. Happy New Year! This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. The, uh, to this edition of the Hagman the Hagman Reporter final segment with uh, Randall Terry. 
his website, voiceofresistance.org, voiceofresistance.org. You got to visit the website. You got to take a look at the website and visit all of the video assets, video um, videos that he's got, the episodes. Uh, oh, just so rich in a number of areas, and it's available to you. Randall Terry is our guest. We're so pleased to have him, by the way, and you know him. You know him, and um, his his DVD his DVD, uh, what would Muhammad do? Really essential to mm. educate the people to the people in power, from the pulpits to the police to the politicians. Before we get back to him, TC Joseph, this generation series of novels. You know what? Kick back, start a fire in your fireplace, preferably in your fireplace, and uh, uh, crack open one of. T.C. Joseph's books are all three, preferably. Book one is Precipice, book two is Pentecost, and book three is Penance. It's a series of novels. T.C. Joseph take, takes us into the lives of three families in a world where conspiracy theories and Bible prophecies collide. Great reviews, Kirkus reviews, Blue Ink reviews, just outstanding reviews of this Generation series of novels by T.C. Joseph. Folks, visit thisgenerationseries.com. That's thisgenerationseries.com, or or buy on Amazon. But but these are great books to give to family, friends, whatever, um, or whoever. In fact, many have been used as tools to awaken family members and friends to the perilous times that we face. Again. This generation series.com. And uh, Randall Terry is our guest, been with us for the last hour and a half, going to stay with us till the end of the show. Mr. Terry, where do you want to start off this segment? Well, I thought that we should go ahead and play a clip from episode six. Um, Lane, w- w- what were you telling me the people were asking? We, you're, by the way, you've got a huge YouTube audience. I know you already knew that, <laughs> but there's people going crazy. <laughs> Oh, it's a Sunni-Shiite split. Um, Oftentimes we keep hearing about Sunnis killing Shiites, Shiites killing Sunnis. We don't have any clue what's going on. In a nutshell, the word Shiite is actually a slur. When Muhammad died, he had not left really explicit instructions as to who should be his successor. So there was a point when uh, when he said of Ali, his son-in-law, who married his daughter Fatima, he said, this is my heir. So there were many Muslims who said, well, Muhammad said he's the heir, he should be the next caliph, the successor. Others said, no, it could be anybody. So when Muhammad died, Ali would not leave his body. And then there was these secret meetings going on as to who was going to be the successor, and then ended up being Muhammad's father-in-law, Abu Bakr. In a nutshell, Shia al-Ali, the party of Ali. It means those who believed that it had to be Ali because he was a relative. He was Muhammad's cousin as well as his son-in-law. And because he was married to Muhammad's daughter, Fatima, Ali had Muhammad's grandsons, who were named, by the way, Hassan and Hussein. So Barack Hussein Obama is named after Muhammad's grandson. Anyway, there were people who said, it's got to be Ali. And other people said, no, it could be Abu Bakr. So it was Abu Bakr, and then it was Umar, and then it was Uthman, 
And then it was finally it was Ali. Well, then a civil war erupted, and Aisha, who was the child bride, was now in her 30s, and she was enraged because Uthman had been assassinated by people who were sympathetic to Ali, and Ali would not punish them. So this horrific civil war broke out, and led by Aisha herself on a camel. It was it was it was horrific. If you read the history of it, it was horrific. And that split happened then. And the Shiites believed then, and up to this day they still do, that the only legitimate imam or the only legitimate successor, caliph, is a blood relative of Muhammad, and it should be one of the heirs of Muhammad, one of the direct descendants. And the Sunnis say, no, it could be anybody who walked in the path of Muhammad. And they each consider the other heretics. The Sunnis hate the Shiites. They say that the only thing worse than an infidel is a Shiite. So it's bitter. It's a bloody religion. It's bloody. Sounds like a family reunion at Keith Ellison's house. Um, Or the DNC, I'm not sure. Uh, Beg your pardon. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, you you had a clip you want us to cue up there? Oh yeah, let's do that. Which um, what's the, what clip? Uh, you look at it really quick. This is this will be interesting. Go ahead and play the uh, episode six, shot two. Now this one has to deal with. Um, did we play that one already, Eric? Shot no, two. No, we have not. All right. So this has to do with ISIS. The reason I wanted you guys to play this is so that people could see. That when, when somebody comes on the air and says, Islam is a religion of peace, Muhammad never had a sex slave, they're lying. And they, and they can't give you a chapter and verse to vindicate their lie. They're just lying. So ISIS said, ISIS actually wrote an article in one of their magazines, Islam is a religion of the sword. And they just quote over and over from the Quran, from the Hadith, from the biographies, saying that it's it's absurd to 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 assert that Islam is not a religion of the sword. Of course, it's a religion of the sword. God gave the sword to Muhammad to force people to worship him. And I'll read one of those quotes when we come back. But let's play this one so that you can see how that ISIS is embracing sexual slavery because Muhammad did. ISIS has a magazine called Dubik. In their 2014 issue, ISIS released a lengthy defense of their practice of sexual slavery. ISIS declares with pride in having sex slaves because Muhammad and his companions did. The author, a woman, opens her article stating that sexual slavery is a pure prophetic tradition of Muhammad. She quotes the Quran, and just as often, one of Muhammad's biographies, or the Hadith, focusing on specific stories from Muhammad's life to justify what they do and why they do it. (coughs) Far from running from Muhammad's teaching and Muhammad's example, they embrace them. She boasts that Muhammad had four sexual slaves. Al-Tabari records that Allah gave his messenger Rehana Azbuti 
after Muhammad killed the men of Banu Quraiza. Maria was a slave given to Muhammad as a gift from the leader of the cops. I have a gift. I have a gift for your viewers. I apologize for trying to clear my throat, gentlemen. Um, I created a, a Muslim glossary of terms, and I know that you can't see this in clarity, but there's a ton of words here that really we should be familiar with if we're going to understand Islam. And then on the other side of it, it's a front back. The other side are a bunch of quotes from Muhammad on um, sexual assaults on women. And then a bunch, a bunch of quotes of him explaining that jihad is how he's going to conquer the world for Islam. That is free. You can hit print and you can take that glossary and those quotes and laminate them. And then you've got them at your disposal. So if you go to our website, what would Muhammad do? I'm sorry, voiceofresistance.com or www.md.tv, www.md.tv, you can go and you can get that glossary for free and there's a ton of research there and again the, the the DVD series there's four DVDs and we cover Islam from soup to nuts and I think that it's important to tell your viewers if if they think that I'm going to slam Islam in the series I actually don't I'm really respectful and the reason is because we're going to release this soon with Arabic subtitles. We intend to release this in every Muslim nation in the world. And the reason is because most Muslims are tantamount to Christmas and Easter Christians. They go to mosque once in a while, they drink beer, they eat pork, they eat bacon, they don't pray five times a day. They're culturally Muslim. They don't know the stories of Muhammad's life. They don't know that Muhammad killed with his own hand. They don't know that Muhammad ordered assassinations. They don't know that Muhammad had sex slaves. They don't know any of it. Why? They don't study Islam. Just like a Christian who goes to church once a year. I mean, you would never trust him to tell you the dogmas of the Christian faith. Likewise, there are millions and millions of Muslims who are Muslim because they were born Muslim, but they don't know this, much less believe it. And so we respectfully reach out to Muslims in the series and say, look, this is all your literature. Check every reference. And towards the end, we start to say, look, in your heart, you know this is not true. You know that God did not send Muhammad to force people to worship Allah at the point of a sword. You know that Muhammad was not sent by God to rape women. You know it's a falsehood. So why are you still a Muslim? And then, of course, the answer is fear, terror. Because Muhammad said, kill anyone who leaves Islam. That We have an entire episode just on apostasy and how without the apostasy laws, Islam would die of its own weight. And that's where we need to go. Because ultimately... Christianity, as you mentioned, Doug, Christianity will prevail. You know, we read the back of the book, we know who wins. But in the meantime, we want nations to be free of Islam, like Spain was once held captive and now it's free. Greece was once held captive, now it's free. We want nations to be free of the scourge of Islam. And I've been told repeatedly by people, 
and I took their advice, that the easiest way to convert a Muslim away from Islam to Christianity, or to nothing for that matter, but the easiest way is to just teach them Islam. Teach them the life of Muhammad. Because the natural instinct, the natural soul, the heart, is so repulsed by what they see. I actually had that happen. I, I traveled the Middle East in, in, in preparation for this series. And I when I became bold enough to ask the person I was with, you know, I would say, did you know that Muhammad killed with his own hand? I asked about a dozen people. And only two of them did. The other ten said, that is not true. Muhammad is a man of peace. They were enraged <laughs> that I would even suggest it. So, obviously that sample group is more anecdotal, but it showed me that I was dealing with, that we are dealing with, people who are Muslim in name only, and they don't know their own heritage. Well, if I can ask this, um, and I'm asking this for context, we saw the the Woman's March, we saw it organized in... Uh, this this woman Linda Sar uh, Sar I guess her name is Sar mm-hmm. Sar Sar mm-hmm. okay uh, a Muslim the mm-hmm. headdress in hijab and all mm-hmm. and leading this feminist woman's march what in uh, can you explain how that's even possible sure okay. um, I I don't know her. So this is conjecture on my part, but it's easy conjecture when you understand the Islamic mind. She hates Trump because of Trump's, as a Muslim, she hates Trump because of Trump's insistence that we're going to prohibit Muslims from certain countries from coming in. And because because Trump had the audacity to say during the campaign that we're at war with Islam and that Islam is at war with us. So I think that what she may have done is found willing dupes who are whose mission is to undermine the credibility of President Trump to try and put him on unstable footing and I don't think it's going to work I don't think that they understand what this man is made of but I guarantee you that devout Islam does not believe in child killing I mean that's one thing a broken clock is right twice a day so Islam does not believe in killing unborn babies and this woman was involved in a march where she whipped, uh, helped whip into a frenzy what, what can truly be called a lunatic fringe. Um, and it was, you know, it's a, it's a, I know that you guys have covered this, and it's a, it's a big rabbit trail, but they were an embarrassment to themselves, and they're, they're just not going to prevail. So at the heart and soul of the culture wars, the heart and the soul of the, the, the ethical battles that are that are covering the planet. The killing of children by abortion, Islamic terrorism, and homosexual marriage. Those three together are the the tip of the spear to try and destroy Christian civilization and the rule of law as given by our Creator. Uh, And, you know, God save us if they prevail. And they've been winning for a while. And Donald Trump represents true resistance. But to your viewers, I want to say, it's a reprieve. It's not victory, it's a reprieve. Still killing babies. Islam is still on a march. 
Germany is still mocking us. France is still in danger. We must not kid ourselves that the election of Trump is an automatic victory for justice and righteousness. All it is is a flag being raised in a little area like uh, that game Risk. Like, we've, we've got Australia, and we're going to launch the Risk players out. It's a reprieve. But we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of fights ahead of us. And one of the reasons that I did this series, and I encourage people to go and get it, if, if you just joined us, is four DVDs. We cover soup to nuts about Islam and connect the life of Muhammad to Islamic terrorism. You can see episode one for free, and then you'll know the quality. I mean, this is made to be on TV or in a movie theater. You, you'll all original music, artists from around the world, voice actors from around the world. Um, we did this so that people could be equipped to fight, and we have to fight. We have to fight with the truth. We have to fight against lies, and we have to be fearless. I am, you know, I'm concerned at times for our safety, but I'm not afraid. God said, do not fear those who can kill the body. Fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. And our mission, as lovers of the Almighty, for those of us who are Christians, our mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors as ourselves, and to preach and to declare the truth. And one of those truths that we must declare is that Islam is a threat. It is an existential threat. And so for the fools and the, and the, the idiots on national TV or these, 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 these stupid commentators who say that Islam is a religion of peace, I just want to say, have you ever been to, to Constantinople? <laughs> have you ever been to Istanbul? Have you ever seen the, the, the places where Christianity used to thrive and it's right. obliterated? Christianity is obliterated in the Middle East. Yeah. And it used to be the, the cradle of Christianity. That's what Islam has done and that's what it intends to do. And Islam, part of Islamic ideology and orthodoxy is that the flag of Islam will fly over Rome. They intend to attack Rome, believe me. Yeah, and I, I look in their writings, their, their most recent writings. You mentioned the uh, magazine, The Beak, ISIS. Mm -hmm. uh, the, their eyes are are definitely on the Vatican, on Rome, uh, yep. among other places. But absolutely, and do you see that? Uh, I mean, with with with, the, with this European Union and, and the the senseless uh, immigration. Idiots. Yeah, I, I mean, they're idiots. And Brexit showed, you know, Nigel Farage and others, they, they, <laughs> Brexit showed that the people are starting to wake up. So in spite of all the whining and carping that's happened here in America, 66% of Americans, according to the last poll, favor President Trump's ban from those seven nations. The British got out of the European Union because of border issues. And France right now and Germany right now have two rise and Holland have all three of them have parties rising to the top that are nationalist parties. And the French are saying, look, we're not going to let the Germans cut our throats. Americans, most of us don't understand how the European Union works. In a nutshell, they created a political body that eliminated borders and eliminated currency. 
So it used to be, if you were in Italy and you crossed into Switzerland or Austria or whatever, you had to have a passport. And if you went from Holland to France, you had to have a passport. You stopped at the border. Well, the European Union eliminated all borders. So once you're in, you can go anywhere. So the Germans have let in, what, a million yep. Middle Eastern refugees? Many of whom... Five, yeah. Yep. Uh, many of whom are violent Islamists, as they're called. That, that's a bad term. They should just be called Muslims. Well, once those Muslims get properly credentialed and get proper paperwork, they can go anywhere on the continent. Anywhere. And the people in Holland and the people in France are saying, we'll be darned if we're going to let Germany put Muslims in a position to cut our throats. Literally. So, yeah. Literally. So there's a there's a rising nationalist movement and um, in many countries and I don't think it's unhealthy I think it's healthy and I think that they recognize viscerally the threat that Islam is we created this series so that people could have the facts about the threat that Islam is and again I want to I want to tell your listeners every quote is fully documented many of them have several references you can all check every reference for yourself number 2 we never quote anybody ever who doesn't like Islam. Every quote comes from the canonical sacred, sacred, I say in quotes, sources of Islam. So we just let Muhammad speak for himself. So if someone wants to understand Christianity, study Jesus. If you want to understand Calvinism, study John Calvin. If you want to understand Methodism, study John Wesley. And if you want to understand Islam, study Muhammad. And that's what we've done. So you're going to get a college education for <laughs> pennies on the dollar if you order this uh, DVD series. And we'll I can, get it out to you. I, and I can attest to that. Um, Randall Terry, folks, I can attest to the value that's, that, that, that is represented in this. And, you know, if this sounds like an infomercial right now, so be it. It's an endorsement. Because I'm going to tell you, you something, right? I'm going to tell you, you something, everybody. If you don't understand the threat, if you don't understand the nature, you won't understand how to combat it. Now, we can pray on our knees, absolutely required, but we also have the duty, at least in my view as Christians, to fully understand that threat. And by far, the best product I've seen out there to really... To, to create the context. I mean, you've done a wonderful job. Uh, not only that, the I mean, information quality is, is power. great. Yeah. The knowledge yeah. is power, information is power. And, you know, you hear so many arguments uh, in the media, in uh, around the water cooler, when it comes to is Islam a religion of peace? Is it a, uh, a religion of, of the sword? And with this information, you can not only uh, be a part of the argument, but uh, explain to people the truth of the yes. matter. And that's yep. one of the, the big things that we see. Don't expect it to be in the media, because these people are paid not to tell the truth. But I, I, I've got to tell you guys something that you'll get a kick out of this, because you're in broadcasting. We recorded this. We started to record the series, and we were having well, should we hire a, an audio expert? So we contacted somebody from Hollywood, literally. Someone involved in Discovery Channel, Shark Week, which is very popular, and very gifted. And he said, you need to reshoot it. 
And I was like, no! But he convinced me and he was right. So we rewrote it and re we, we shot it again. And then when we were done, we thought, no, we can do better still. <laughs> and we reshot it again. <sighs> this was two years in production. I don't even want to tell you how much money we spent oh, on this man. thing. Two years in production with a Hollywood producer and our team, which is first rate. Studios, artists, voice actors, original music, the whole nine yards. And we thought, you know what, let's do this so that if PBS or Discovery or History wants to air it, they can. If CNN or Fox wants to air a clip, everyone's going to go, wow, that's really good. And I appreciate the endorsement from you guys. Oh, yeah. When, when somebody watches the first episode, you will understand original music, great cameras, a fortune in cameras. Um, we didn't spare anything. Well, the, the, we this actually, have, the, the quality actually rivals the innocence of Muslims. You remember that film that played in, on, in Los Angeles? I think, uh, one showing that was the joke about the Benghazi, you know. I'm kidding. Oh, that guy! Yeah, I know. Yeah. I never saw it. No, no, I'm 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 kidding. It, it was, but 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 seriously, you've done you've done everything I've ever seen when it comes to uh, really pu putting together this. Uh, I I can believe it. it two years. I, I I need I need to tell you that I I acknowledge that there are people out there, Robert Spencer, yeah, uh, Doctor Warner, who know more than I do. I mean, I have a master's degree in international terrorism. I've studied this for 10 years. But there are people who are further down this than I am. What I brought to the table was that I'm a broadcaster. That's right. And that I thought, well, you know, it's not enough to write a book anymore. People, There are people who don't want to read a book. They want to see it. And so we said, ha, let's make a film series that puts the words on the screen, puts the references on the screen, and then people get the best of both worlds. They get the pictographic essay of Muhammad's life along with the quotes coming coming from Islamic sources. So I appreciate your Great encouragement. Great job, man. And, it's been a bust uh, in our butts here. Uh, you, you, the phone number, if you want to order this by phone, 304-289-3700. Uh, Voiceofresistance.org is the website. Randall Terry is the man. That's right. Kind. And thank Very you, Mr. Kind. Terry, for joining us. Um, I hope we can we can do this again in the future. Uh, very educational and um, and exciting at the Dude, same time to learn this. We, yeah, I'm honored to do it. You guys gave us the reason to convert this studio, which I do my show on, to convert it so that we could do someone else's show. So this is this is our beta test for us to do this. For another show, so mission thank accomplished, you brother. For giving us the reason. Well, th thank you for being such a a, a class act and, and a man of integrity, character. You and your entire family. God bless all of you. And thanks, you know what? Thanks for your gracious gift of time and for the gift of knowledge that you've given all of us tonight. And um, I just I, I can't thank you enough, man. It's, it's I'm happy funny. to do it. And, and again, we'll give people for free if they go to our website. They can get that glossary. Of terms from yeah. Islam, they can print it and laminate it and have it. They can have it for free. And a bunch of really key quotes from Muhammad, where Muhammad is calling for jihad, 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 from the lips of Muhammad to conquer the earth for Islam. So that's available for free at our website. And uh, again, if people order the DVD series, thank you for your kind words about it. Complete money back guarantee. 
but I promise you, you're you're, you're going to be blown away by what That's you see. Right. And, and Randall and Terry's website is, is voiceofresistance.org. That's voiceofresistance.org. Wow. Again, thank you, Mr. Terry. You have a good night, and we'll talk to you in the near future. Thank, thank you. you, Doug. Thank you, Joe. God bless you guys. God bless you, All too. All right, brother. And on behalf of J.D. Hopwood, uh, John <laughs> Robertson, J.D. from the South, John Robertson from the Pacific Northwest, uh, on behalf of uh, my daughter Jackie from the other office, from behalf of <laughs> Eric the Tech, of course, sitting right just 10 feet from us, Joe, and, of course, Lady, our studio dog. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you.